bitch. I said, wake up, bitch. Wake up. Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 176 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast is coming at you live. I am your host, the Tromaville Community College graduate, the toxic offender, superhero, a.k.a. Moods. Yeah. And, of course, I have my hetero gay life mate, the Mexican. Get me the fucking thumbnail on time anymore. Double late J, a.k.a. JP. What's going on, man? Yo, dude, we haven't done just me and you in like forever. I don't even remember the last time we did just me and you. You know, I was actually thinking about that before the show and I I didn't even conclude the answer. I have no idea. I mean, we've literally had a guest on almost every show for at least a year running. So this is very strange. So, (laughs) but it's, uh, it's just the two of us again. I always have to do that when we do that. It doesn't happen very often, but I honestly cannot remember the last time that we had no guests. I don't even know what happened here. I think originally, because this week we were supposed to be doing the top 10 of the decade, uh, the rank in the years show, and really nobody wanted to jump on with us at all. Yeah. And apparently don't people don't want to do that show. So I'm like, that's cool. That's cool. So then we changed it to this show, and then still nobody wanted to guest host, maybe because it's because of the quality of featured reviews i have no idea but just nobody jumped up and i'm like all right whatever i guess this I is feel gonna like be the we two probably of us. just burnt everybody out <laughs> probably i mean it is a combination of what time we record at and maybe a combination of the films and it's- and length nobody else's show like all the our guests that we've had on their shows are you know three hours max usually so mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're probably not used to going five, six hours. <laughs> I'm still having a hard time figuring out why the hell these shows are so damn long all the time. It's funny because it seems like we're doing less segments, but they just seem to be going longer, like two-hour Q&As with Watson and shit. Like, it's funny. We intend to have shorter shows, and then they end up being longer in the long run. It's very strange. Yeah, it is strange. <laughs> right? Like, that Watson thing was just bizarre to me, but... Yeah, man. So what what else, what's going on, man? What's going on? Ah, you know, it's uh it's been a pretty busy week. Um like you mentioned, I I didn't get the thumbnail to you on time. Uh yeah, I started that one. I was like, man, I I don't I I wasn't finding the images that I wanted. Even at the end of it, I wasn't very happy with that one. It happens sometimes, but uh I eventually finished it up. Uh, me and Carly's been recording our show too, um, our new show, and uh, that one's kind of weekly. So we we do that usually every like Monday or Tuesday. 
Um, it's actually only like usually like an hour, but the last show we did ended up being like three hours and took up my whole entire day, the day that I normally would do the thumbnail. Um, that one, we, our latest episode, we actually did a no like featured review or anything. The main topic was all the movies that we've seen in the theater drive-in that are like retro films. So like stuff from the, you know, eighties, nineties, seventies, sixties, fifties, like anything that's not like, you mean all, all the exclusive eighties films, apparently according to some people on Facebook. Yeah, (laughs) dude, that guy, I was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? I was so confused, but yeah, yeah, we, we have, uh, when we did our total, it, it was 98 Wow. We've seen 98. So we went through the entire history from like 2013 on and talked about each of the films that we've seen and, and gave like backstory to us seeing them and stuff. It was pretty cool. It was something different, but it, it, it turned into a pretty decent episode. Hmm. That's cool. So you guys record on Mondays or in Tuesdays and stuff? I oh, am. Yeah. Uh, yeah, usually Mondays, Tuesdays, sometimes Wednesdays. We usually like to have the show out um in the middle of the week so like wednesday or thursday well so. since we're since we're talking about the show you might as well just do a shameless plug in and actually say the title of the the actual show yeah um it's his and hers movie podcast or double hmp so uh, I, I've, I've been asked actually a couple times about this and i don't know why people keep asking me because i don't have the answer to this but is this like the new netflix and chill are you guys going to continue to do that or are you just because netflix sucks well, Netflix and Chill was just really a name for just anything streaming. If you actually look, look at our catalog, it's mostly Shutter exclusive. Yeah, that's, I, that, that's mostly what we did. I noticed but, that. Yeah. Um, no, Netflix and Chill isn't completely dead. Uh, this is our primary focus right now, and it, it's typically new theatrical films. But if we oh, so it's your guys's version of Fresh Cuts, basically. But the difference is, is if there's not a theatrical film like this past week we'll do something else so it's not it's not exactly like fresh cuts because we might do an older film or something that's not a film at all like we did this week Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so we kind of mainly do theatrical stuff because we the reason why is because we just see all of them like anything that comes out we see so i we don't really talk about them so much on this show on 22 shots so I was like, where could I, you know, do those? And it didn't really fit with Netflix and chill. Um, and I like going on fresh cuts, but I'm not always available when they're doing it. So it kind of worked out perfect. I didn't want to do content. I don't want like repeating content. So if I like, do something on here, I don't really want to do it on there mm-hmm. and vice versa. So I figured, well, we don't really do a lot of the theatrical films on here. So I see them anyway. There's so no room to do that. brand new theatricals. I mean, we never really were that podcast that did current stuff besides news, but reviewing current films wasn't really our thing. I mean, we did some, we did like it and you know, things like that, but that was never really a focus of the show. And especially now with Patreon, more or less controlling our, our uh, featured reviews and stuff. We don't really do that. And I'm, and I'm cool with that. Actually, I like to do more retro stuff anyways. So, but. Yeah, me too. And, and and not to mention that you don't get a lot of the 
films, you probably get less than half of what we get. It was actually kind of defining factor in why we never did a lot of theatrical films in the early days of the show because of that reason. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it would be different if I lived, you know, where I used to in Vancouver because, you know, you got a hundred different cinemas and they literally have like the best. They have cinemas that are exclusive for like indie films and like the circuit films. It's crazy. It's amazing down there. You can catch anything. But where I am, eight hours north, yeah, with one one theater or one cinema with like six screens, it's mostly kids movies, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy how many actual theaters we have within an hour radius of us like mm-hmm. we have the the local one to my town which is kind of the weakest one um and they don't get a they don't get a lot if it's like a big horror movie they'll get it but if it's like one of the like small like the last two haven't been actually the last yeah this this past one um, the turning which just came out that wasn't there and then the grudge wasn't there but they did get underwater um, but then we have uh, another theater that's a really good theater and gets like everything that's like an hour like 50 minutes away um, and then there's another theater that's like an hour away that is in the opposite direction that pretty much gets the same thing so we don't really go to that one too often unless we're going to that area for something um, and then we also have like a drive-in in my hometown, like 15 minutes away from where I live. Uh, we have a, uh, we just went to a theater that we never been to that is an hour in like the other direction. And that one, um, we went to just for, just to try something new and it was all right. Uh, but again like all these theaters also have things around them like malls or something like that so that's the reason why we might do a different one but yeah and and then like when you go into pittsburgh there's like four or five theaters but um the one that we used to love called the hollywood uh it was purchased like two years ago and pretty much was turned into a second run theater so like they used to play all kind of retro stuff like that's where i saw phantasm and Um, like all these, like the John Carpenter fest that they did where they showed four Carpenter films that is all done and gone. And it's absolutely uh, like, I don't know what the hell they did to that place, but somebody bought it and it was a, um, nonprofit theater. It's been around since like 1920 and they just turned it into a second run theater. So like, you know, they'll, they'll get like, they'll play star Wars for like four weeks after it's like, yeah, you know, pretty yeah. much not. It's just so silly. It, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't even know how they like do. Like I, I can't imagine people actually go to these. Yeah, really. Um, but yeah, that that's unfortunate. But yeah, we have. I never really realized that when I was younger. But we have like quite the options in here. And then you know, even the others like that drive-in I showed you the the lineup for. Um, that is only an hour away like an hour and 10 minutes or something so you know that's that's another drive-in but they do that retro stuff every once in a while which is cool Mm -hmm. but yeah pennsylvania is actually quite a good state for um cinema actually i'd never really realized it but it is it's such a big area for like horror fans and stuff too i mean you know when i go you know cinema wastelands there's so many people from that area 
mm-hmm. you know, that are there and stuff. A lot of filmmakers come from there. I mean, obviously Romero and, yeah, well, and, and things like that. Have, but it's just, it's a very cultish type area. It seems like I, I always see people that are from that, that kind of area. And I'm like, that's so interesting because out in the West, like it's just such a different culture. Like they just don't have that type of culture out here. That's probably why there isn't like a lot of, you know, um, like horror festivals and, you know, horror cons and, and all that type of shit out here. And there's, they're mostly where you are in the Midwest, kind of East Coast type thing, right? Yeah. And also like we have, uh, like 15 minutes from where I work, we have, uh, the Tom Savini makeup effects school uh, and the George Romero film school. So like that's Mm -hmm. actually brought in a ton more. Plus, you know, we have the whole zombie thing and, and the Romero stuff as well as, uh, the toe tag dudes from Pittsburgh. The guy that made the barn is from Pittsburgh area. So yeah, I mean, we, 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 and honestly, like, Pittsburgh is a is a decent film town too. I actually just saw a trailer for this new Netflix show that that filmed like literally two minutes down the street from Carly's house. Um, in fact, they were actually filming on her street one day, and she couldn't get in into her driveway. But uh, yeah, that like so we and they just shot another um, Netflix thing here uh over the you know around december so it's actually crazy because it's such a small town that we've gotten so much films shot here in the past like five ten years it's probably cheap to film there i don't think it costs anything (laughs) well you gotta you gotta get film permits right and yeah, cer- but I, I certain places are just more charge for anything here it's like we're just happy to have you type thing yeah yeah that's crazy um but yeah, I miss the I miss the days of cinema. Like it just it drives me nuts every time I think about it because when when I hear that there's going to be a film at the cinema and you know or that's coming theatrical horror film coming theatrical and I, I just kind of every time I just I doubt we're getting it here. You know, I miss. The did good you old get days. any of the past three? Like, did you get Grudge, Underwater, or The Turning? I believe we got them. I'm not sure about The Turning. That's this week's one. Yeah, no, then we definitely did not get that. Well, we might get it next week, but we did get, uh, I, I mean, going back to Black Christmas, I think we got that. We got the grudge. Um, Underwater, I believe that we got also. I'm not 100% sure on that, but we usually get them like a week after. Sometimes they, they, they open like when they're supposed to, but, you know, it's it depends what's out at the time though too, right? I mean, if there's a bunch of popular kids movies or, you know, PG-13 live action type films and shit, the, the cinema will be playing those. Yeah. <laughs> but I, we I, actually, good. I, no, I'm just, I miss the good old days. Like, you know, growing up here, like we have the one cinema here now, but I mean, back in the day, I've, I've told before, but we used to have like, you know, three or four and, but there was the one place I used to go to a lot and they used to get more of like the call films and stuff. Like that's where I seen, you know, Hellraiser three and stuff. Like they would get those type of films there. And then you go to the other cinema to get more of like the more Hollywood blockbusters and you go to the other one to get these type of runs. And it was kind of cool because, you know, if, it, if you saw a, a trailer for a film, you kind of knew where it was going to play in town, right? You just, you just knew right away. The horror films played over here at the scuzz bucket place, like down on George street with the hookers and the fucking heroin addicts. Right. So, but that you just knew it was cool, but I, I missed those days because now I'm just like, I doubt we're getting that at all. <laughs> you know, yeah, and you're definitely not getting like the art house stuff. Like we got, um, no, no man. Climax. Like, like when we like, like climax was one of my favorite theatrical experiences. It's too redneck here, man. Those movies would never sell. Like, you know, you know, you say if you know the lighthouse house had like a wider, bigger, whatever. There's no way that that would be coming here. It's too artsy. There's yeah, just no we, fucking like, way. That's another one we got the lighthouse, yeah. and then our retro, um, you know, t- 
is pretty healthy too. Like the, uh, in February, we we just saw mis- misery this month. Um, and then next month we have, uh, my bloody Valentine, which I'm so excited for because I didn't think I would ever get a chance to see that in the theater. Um, and then also the original invisible man. So that's pretty cool. Did you say you saw my bloody Valentine? No, it's next month. Are you, are you getting the new transfer of it too? Yeah, I think it, I think they're actually showing the, the new transfer. Man, that's cool, man. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm actually very excited for that. That's something that. Um, I didn't think I would get a chance to see, uh, and then obviously the, um, the, uh, April, uh, drive-in that I've been going to since like 2013 or something, uh, they, they announced their full lineup, uh, which is honestly like a, a pretty fun lineup. Like the first night is like, uh, I think it's like from the deep themed, and then the second night is a more like 80s stuff. Mm-hmm. So the second night you have Slumber Party Massacre, which is a cool title to see. And then Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is a, like I'm real. That's like probably the one I'm most excited for. It's still a <laughs> weird fucking title to put on that bill, though, even though it is like, you know, that stando kind of 80s cult film and stuff. But the time of year. Who, yeah, who, well, who they've actually. They've actually done that in the past. They showed they shown Black Christmas um, like two years ago. <laughs> like it's like it's practically fucking you know going into springtime and shit. And it's like now nah, let's just drop some Silent Night, Deadly Night. You know everyone's just getting over their snow and shit's warming up. And I, it just seems weird to me. It just seems fucking weird, right? No, I, it definitely it definitely is weird. But I'll tell you what, like it's usually like damn still cold in April. So yeah. Um, and sometimes we even still have snow in April. But. That's the most fucked up thing. Like you know, you know, it's always it's always hit and miss. But like last week, we were having this crazy extreme fucking weather here. Like we were breaking records. It was minus fucking forty four. And in, it, even if you're a Canadian listener or an American listener, at that point, it doesn't matter if you're Celsius or Fahrenheit. It's minus fucking forty four, right? Because <laughs> at minus forty, we're the same. And it was minus forty four. It was fucking crazy. Within four days later, it was plus seven here which is, I don't know, probably 40 degrees or something. I don't know. But uh, like, yeah, that's crazy. But ever since we had that, we had seven days of extreme weather between minus 30, and minus 45 kind of thing. Uh, ever since it got, you know, warm again, it's been, it's been spring here. Like it's still fucking January. This is generally the coolest part of the year, but it's straight up spring. Like it's melting. We have like, everything's going, it's fucking weird weather, dude. So I think that spring hit us like in January. Cause I don't know, we st- might still get a bit, but the forecast is like, warm shit dude this is crazy but i don't know i think spring is hitting us real early this year i'm super excited about that i hate winter yeah that's good and it's actually been pretty um like lukewarm here with with winter um we've had a few really cold days but not much snow we've only had like one or two snow snow like accumulations pretty much like like little tiny ones here and there but like for it's actually one of the least snowy winters I've dealt with in the past, like 10 years, probably or 15, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. So slumber party massacre, silent night, deadly night, chopping mall, uh, is the third title on the second night. And then spookies, um, spookies actually replaced the, originally they were doing deadly friend. Um, but the, apparently the, print was like really badly damaged from the studio and they said that they couldn't send it 
Hmm. Um, so maybe maybe that's but that famous basketball head explosion scene would have been amazing on the big screen but i mean whatever you know i actually just rewatched spookies again the vinegar syndrome release of it and you know it, it, it's actually mind fucking blowing that they can turn trashy cinema into fucking gold nuggets man that's like the I transfer is phenomenal on that Blu-ray. I'm just like this is fucking crazy watching this. It sounds yeah, it sounds so insane, good. Dude. Like it really is mind blowing, dude. It makes the movie so much more enjoyable. It's still so, it's one of the most bizarre movies ever made because of if you listen like the production history is just it's hilarious what happened with that movie. But it's just if you can accept it for being as bad as it is, it's so much fun. It's fart monsters in it, man. Come on. Yeah, but um, I just watched Amityville four. And that transfer is ridiculous too. I actually popped that in the other day and never even pressed play. I ended up, I got stuck doing something on the computer and then I just didn't feel like watching it. So I took it out of the Blu-ray play. I had it on the menu on repeat for like 45 minutes. And I was like, eh, I don't feel like watching this. That, <laughs> never, movie is never actually, that movie is actually like way better than it deserves to be. It's, it's a TV movie, right? It was made for television, right? Uh, I, mean, I think I, I don't know. It's I, I don't know. Like I, I thought it was, but I don't know if this version is or not because it seems like more violent than what I would expect. Like, but maybe I don't know. Like my yeah. favorite scene in that whole movie is when the kid is like messing with the chainsaw in the basement and it like tur- turns on. And it just like starts going crazy, like cutting up everything in the basement, and the parents uh, come down there like, "What are you doing, dude?" I can't remember it, man. I'd have to go back and revisit. I, I honestly, I haven't even dug into that box set yet. I haven't watched any of the four films, so yeah. I actually, I, there's only one in that box that I haven't seen, um, but the three that I have seen, I actually like them all. I think they're all better than part three. Actually, I've seen them all. I actually, I actually watched. Uh, I think it was the new generation one. I'd picked up the DVD years ago when I was at Jeremy's place, and we watched it. And that movie is just fucking horrible, man. It's so bad. That's the only one I haven't seen. It's bad. It's like it's bad. Who knows, man? Maybe the transfer will like bring it up a point five for me or some shit. But I don't know, man. I don't mind some of the Amityville sequels. They're all right. They're not as bad as watching fucking howling sequels or some shit. Yeah. Uh, and then the first night uh, is Piranha the 70s version which i haven't seen in probably over a decade um humanoids from the deep which i've never seen oh man the rapey fucking sea monsters man i love i love that movie dude i just i rewatched that just not too long ago when uh screen factory put up the steelbook i popped in it and by the way that transfer is like ridiculous it looks so good and yeah it's such a stupid fun movie man it's literally creatures coming out the water raping women it's fucking sounds awesome it's amazing Uh, tentacles is the third title which is fun Um, which is fun yeah yeah um and then the final title is actually one that i'm super stoked on if i could stay awake that long um and that is the legend of boggy creek (laughs) you know it's funny i was just talking about that movie well i think sam brought it up actually he said, uh, like, whoever was doing that new transfer on it and stuff, uh, put it up on the website, and there's a price point on it. I think it's, like, 36 or no, it's $30. Uh, yeah, but he, it's but he, his daughter. Yeah. Charles B. Pierce's daughter. Okay, so, yeah, so they have it, like, they're selling, they're doing, like, this whole indie thing or whatever. And, and uh, even for the shipping for folks in the U.S. was, like, $7. So it was going to cost, like, thirty six ninety nine American or something like that. And even Dave was, like, Mr. Parker was, like, fuck that. I'm not paying $37 for Boggy Creek kind of thing. And I'm, like, yeah. I'm, like, that price point is absolutely ludicrous. Like, for, like for me, it would be, like, $65. And, I'm like, obviously, I'm not fucking paying that. But even for American, like, $36 for Boggy Creek, 
is nuts. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like when they were talking about it, I thought it was actually going to be a 4K release. I would have paid probably that for a 4K release of it, but I'm so not So it was just a 4K a transfer done on a Blu-ray? Yeah. Yeah. Um that that is ridiculous. I like I love Boggy Creek. It actually made my top 10 of 72. Um I, and that transfer looks ridiculous like cuz the if you have the cheesy flicks version <laughs> <laughs> which most people actually do because <laughs> that yeah. shit is bad man it's real bad yeah that shit is bad and uh i was looking forward to the transfer hopefully it gets to like amazon and other retailers eventually because then i know the price will go down so yeah exactly that's what i'm hoping for. That, that transfer on the on the cheesy flicks dvd looks like they taped over like it was it was taken from a really bad vhs that had been watched a hundred times and then it looks like they taped over like a you know, on a long play tape with that had been recorded on 60 times and then just 100. put that. It, it did, man. It, it just looks so fucked up. I was like, this doesn't even make sense to me. Like, why would they, you know, but cheesy flicks is more or less like a gray market company though too. Right. Yeah. It, I don't even think they're still in business. Well, they did get sued a while ago cause they put out something that somebody tripped balls about and actually, sued I think them. it was VCI or something. I think they put out something that VCI owned. Yeah, or something like that. And then someone tripped balls and, and then was like, hey, guys, you owe us some fucking money. And obviously, it's cheesy flicks. They don't have any fucking money. So I yeah. guess they probably just folded. But, oh, man, it's funny. Actually, I got a couple cheesy flicks. My, the wife actually wears her – she still wears her cheesy flick shirt around the house when she's doing, like, housework and shit. It's hilarious. So, but anyways, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, other than that um, – been watching a lot of films uh i I kind of been doing this thing where like i mentioned it on the last show but i just been watching stuff in my collection besides like the reviews for the show and stuff i've just been watching things in my collection that i hadn't seen before or like not not that i hadn't seen before but that or that i bought and never watched so like even stuff like um you know fright night the 2011 version um i've seen it before but i bought it on blu-ray used and just never watched it so i revisited that and like mm-hmm. you know ton ton i'm actually doing pretty well i think i've watched um like 20 unwatched titles so far and last year i would probably say that like my entire year i had only seen maybe like 40 of of my unwatched titles so i'm already you know one month in doing better than I, you know, doing half as good as I did last year, which, yeah, I was, cause I was looking at my collection, dude. It's literally hundreds of titles unwatched. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, I got to start watching some of these. So that, that's been my like goal this entire year. That's crazy. You got that many, man. I, I've been doing the same thing. I've been going in the clay, some rewatches and stuff, but I have, I actually had this really strange moment the other day because I went to go grab the, uh, the Dead Ringers Blu ray and, and then, like, as I was thinking, like, as I was going to grab it, I was like, wait a minute. I never fucking upgraded that. I still only have that on DVD. Because wow. I, I was in this David Cronenberg, obviously, in this mode. And I was like, I feel like rewatching Dead Ringers now because, you know, I can't. I just have the time to do it and stuff. So I was like, ah, fuck, man. And I'm like, well, shit. I'm, I'll see how much it is on Amazon. And I got it for, like, 20 bucks, right, on Prime. And I was like, oh, sweet, dude. That's a great deal. I'm like, ah, it's not going to have a slip, whatever. Fuck. It comes with a slip cover. I was like, what the fuck? Wow. So, yeah. Because it's I been up for like three, four years. And I'm like, damn. Yeah. That was, so I end up watching it again. I'm like, that movie's fucked, man. 
It's just fucked. Mm-hmm. But like, I've been doing the same thing. I've been going in, you know, some of the Vinegar Syndrome titles I hadn't checked out yet and stuff. And I've been watching those and just kind of really mixing it up, man. I watched like the sequel to Goon, like the hockey enforcer movie and shit. I've been, <laughs> I've been watching random fucking things, man. But yeah, I, even, I love I, Goon. <laughs> I popped in Nightbreed the other night. I hadn't watched it. I hadn't watched that Scream Factory special edition since, uh, since it came out. And, um, yeah, that's that. what you said. You were watching. You were about to watch Nightbreed. I was like, oh. But and I finally watched the 2020 film from this year. I've watched one at this point. Last year, I'd already probably watched like 15, but I did watch The Color Out of Space. Uh, the new really, Richard, Richard Stanley was it film. good? Everybody's been talking good about it. I liked it. Yeah, it, it's good. You know, it's. I mean, if you know the H.P. Lovecraft story, it was adapted in the movie called The Curse. You know, Screen Factor put out The Curse one and two. Have you ever seen The Curse before? Nope. Oh, you never I seen the curse? Anyways, I, I, I own them, but I haven't seen them. That movie is based off the H.P. Lovecraft story, which is called Color Out of Space. Um, this is more or less, you know, it's like a very, very much updated, a little bit more effects, like, because I think the curse came out in the early 90s, I believe. Um, it was good. <laughs> Nick Cage, there was a couple moments in that film that just completely had me in fucking tears, man, because Nick Cage pulled some Nick Cage out and he has this one <laughs> scene where he just loses his shit inside a car and I was fucking laughing. I'm just thinking vampires kiss the whole time, right? But <laughs> there was some legitimately funny ass moments in it, but I think the third act kind of lost me a little bit. I, I was kind of getting, I, it was losing me with the amount of like special effects and things that were going on. I don't know. I, I, I thought the color scheme in the film was like really cool and stuff, but it was just, it felt like it was overdoing it for me. And at points I was just like losing interest in it and stuff, but it, it was still really solid. I gave it like a seven and a half out of 10, but I know people are like really, really digging the shit out of it. But um, actually one of the very first things I heard about the movie was Nick Cage was fucking horrible. He was horrible. And I'm like, but I mean, if you don't like Nick Cage, like you're probably not going to like him in much things. Cause he's kind of Nick Cage in a lot of things, you know, he does overacting in certain scenes and he's weird in other scenes and shit. And you get exactly what you expect with Nick Cage in this movie. And, I thought it was kind of entertaining. He was definitely the most entertaining part of the film for me, besides Tommy Chong. Tommy Chong's character was fucking <laughs> awesome in this movie. He plays this, like, out-fucking-spacey character type thing out in the woods and stuff. It's, his character was awesome, man. Oh, fuck, man. Tommy Chong's just Tommy Chong. But uh, I can see why people are loving this. And I, I put money on it right now that you're going to see Color Out of Space on top 10 list this year. 100%. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, I'm actually 0 for 3 with 2020 movies wow yeah so what have you seen Under, underwater what else do you see um the grudge oh yeah the grudge <laughs> and uh and the turning oh all the theatricals yeah okay yeah uh haven't ventured past that you know well, isn't the I, turning I, just like an updated version of the like the innocence or something like that yeah, Carly said it's not that similar though, because she just watched The Innocence. I, I've never seen The Innocence, so oh, it's classic. It's it's an amazing, amazing film. It's really, really yeah. Good. I, I'm, yeah. Hmm. But um, yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty busy, like long week. But other than that, I haven't been up to too much. Yeah, I've been just doing what I do: watch films and shit, man. I, I I'm just looking at my entries for. January, we're what is it? January twenty fourth today, twenty fourth, and I've watched sixty five movies already this month. God damn, that is fucking ridiculous. So yeah, that that's pretty crazy. I'm at thirty five, which is really good for me. Like that's that's like 
record breaking pace again for me but i'm i'm not keeping that up i'll tell you that right now it's yeah it's just, it's just the way things have been working out this month like you know 8 eight thirty hits and i just been able to fit in films you know because i don't watch films during the day like fridays i never watch movies because you know we record once you know i usually start watching movies right mm-hmm. eight o'clock at night is when i start so yeah i like i'm always i have missed days and shit it's crazy like i don't even know how the fuck i watch so many damn movies already <laughs> this is crazy but uh yeah 65 movies god damn but um did you get a chance to check out any of the uh the skills comp nhl skills comp tonight no no i didn't i gotta say man i'm usually not a big fan of watching the all-star week maybe sometimes the all-star games they're kind of fun now with the three-on-three formats i think it's kind of interesting but yeah the kind of tournament style type thing they got going but i usually don't watch the skills comp because it kind of loses me i'm just like "Eh." but this year they had like they actually changed a couple couple of the skills up and stuff and then they actually had um the women's all-stars come and play a game in the middle of the skills comp and it was fucking phenomenal man like they're oh, so cool it was canada versus us canada won uh two one of course <laughs> but like but no the us is really really good but like the canadian oh my god but the goaltending by the canadian goalie was just like ridiculous it was fucking ridiculous mm-hmm. man and the, of course it's three on three and it's so entertaining it's just non-stop and shit but yeah it was probably one of the first years i ever kind of finished watching the skill to- skills comp and went wow that was really entertaining <laughs> i've actually never watched it yeah i don't i usually just kind of like eh, whatever if i catch the game i catch a game you know and then they kind of like i said they change it to two formats where it's like four teams they have too many games kind of thing right yeah so. i've actually never watched the pro bowl either like once in my life for as big of a football fan as i am i've never watched the pro bowl i have here and there i don't make a point of actually going out of my way to watch it but yeah it's kind of like yeah. the also game the also it is what it is man i mean it, honestly if you want to if you're not really that deep into watching just watch the fucking highlights yeah that's kind of, i i have watched i do watch the highlights often but yeah um yeah i've been like real heavy into hockey since uh since the nfl season um, well, i can't get over that fucking crosby was gone for like six or eight six weeks or something like that and the uh-huh. fucking penguins kept winning without him i was like this Dude, is ridiculous it was insane like we were on a hell of a run like we were winning like crazy games uh, i believe i read us uh, they were talking about how uh we had three games this year where we've come back from zero three or you know down by at least three points which i uh is the we're the only team this year that that's done that it's mm-hmm. pretty cool um but yeah that like we we were, we kept winning and winning and winning i like december we killed it we we're like in terms of our record i forget exactly what it was um and then we like i i, I feel like you know just looking at the points and stuff like that we were i think down in like fifth place or something now we're like second we we're kind of chasing the capitals we did lose to the uh flyers the other night but mm-hmm. um yeah just like uh, we were just playing like crazy good hockey for for a while there still still pretty hot we just beat the bruins the other night too there was a good game mm-hmm. um yeah, it's yeah. fucking crazy, man. You know, without Crosby and stuff. And then he comes back and then just fucking tears it up. Like, I know. ridiculous tearing it up. I'm like, man, that guy never misses a beat, man. He can be out for six weeks and just like, like he wasn't out for two days, you know, kind of thing. It's crazy, man. It's absolutely crazy. But yeah, the Penn's goalie, uh, not Matt Murray, but the other guy, he was actually in the All-Star game. He's one of the one of the goalies that got picked. I think Matt Murray might Jari. be. Yeah, Jari. I always forget the guy's fucking name, but yeah. Yeah, kind of- he's, been, he's been playing very well. Matt, yeah. Matt Murray's actually not been playing the greatest, but no. Jari's been playing great. Yeah, really, really good. Enough to make an all-star team? That's crazy. It's, I mean, the competition is so fucking hard in the NHL right now. 
mm-hmm. know, to make that and shit. So, but yeah, it's pretty crazy, pretty crazy shit. But yeah, I was really, really like, wow, the, those women, man. Cause, and you know, I mean, they got their exposure last year when the girl, uh, what's her name that, oh, what the fuck? I can't remember, but she was like, she beat like the fastest skating time. Right, a woman oh, had like wow. had like the fucking faster time than, than Connor McDavid, which is insane. So that kind of sparked that, and plus they've been trying to get their professional league going and stuff, and they're thinking within the next year or two because it's been happening for years. Well, oh, that'd be cool. That'd be so, cool. So they're gonna have the WNHL, which is amazing to me that it hasn't been a thing yet because women's hockey's come so far in the last 15 20 years it's crazy mm. there's so many fucking awesome players like legitimately amazing women uh, hockey I've players never, i've never seen women play hockey oh it's, it's such a big thing in canada right because you know with the olympics and, the, and women's hockey like i mean obviously hockey is just it's a religion here it's literally insane here right so dude, we, we, we get a lot of exposure to it and like we in the women are, it's just fucking bananas dude it's crazy but the americans are very very close behind us and stuff and it's funny because the americans have a lot of uh you know like phil kessel's sister plays on the american team and tony granato i think her, his sister is like the coach and she used to be a really great ex-player and stuff oh. like yeah and it's it's kind of funny that all these family members the female family members are playing like professional hockey now and stuff because runs in the family kind of thing right so yeah the thing about um like okay my, my favorite sport is is mma um which is its own separate breed because it's you know not a team sport yeah but you know my my favorite team sport is football but man hockey rivals it sometimes like those two cup runs 16 and 17 that that we had like i never had any experience in sports where i had that many heart attacks in that like amount of time you know because like the playoffs are so damn long Mm -hmm. and we're going to game sevens and stuff and and i'm just like (sighs) overtimes and things it's just like it really is an exhilarating exciting like hockey playoffs are probably the best playoffs in in sports in, in my opinion it's crazy when you think about it too because the hockey playoffs is like a whole separate season it's literally two months dude. it takes so long but it's i love two it even even when months. my team goes out like i'm still heavily interested in like what's what? going on like like dude remember last year the san jose and vegas knights game yeah one of the craziest things i've ever seen in my life like that was yeah. nuts. I mean, honestly, you'll never see something like that ever again. That, that was like one of the strangest thing ever to happen in a game. I mean, that's just bizarre. But but NHL, like even if, like you said, even when your team goes out of the playoffs, if they go out or whatever, it's still exciting to watch because the hockey is so good. It's so yeah, amazing. Playoff it's, hockey is just and especially so now. Exciting. You know the new NHLs, you know, it's so different. You know, it's so different from what is what it was even 15 years ago. You know, removing the red line and you know the the way the game is is so fast paced now. It's just it's a totally different game than it was in the 80s and 90s and stuff. And it's it's so much more exciting. But the playoff hockey is even faster. You you know you look at regular season play and you're like, man, it's pretty fast. And then you know playoffs is like twice as fast. It's fucking crazy, man. It's just phenomenal to watch. But but you know if you, if you weren't a fan of the game and you 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 know go out of your way to watch this type of games, you would have never seen that shit with San Jose in Vegas, right? Like dude. watching that shit was like, what the fuck is happening right now? This is crazy. But like, oh, uh, dude, and I was so bummed because I, I like, you know, Penguins were out of it. Like Vegas Knights is, uh, I, I love Flurry. He's a one of my favorite players you know yeah. so i i cheer for him and uh it was just like oh man that that was brutal to watch but i i can't imagine vegas knights fans they were probably <laughs> it's, they were probably going out of their mind absolutely man that, that shit'll just never be duplicated man just absolutely not it's crazy but 
yeah, I mean, fuck, it's going to be an interesting run this year, man. It's even hard to make it in the playoffs, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, look with St. Louis last year, January, they were the worst team in the NHL and then decided that they're going to just win every game out and, you know, win the Stanley Cup kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and combined with the new season in 2000, you know, 1920, in the calendar year in 2019, they won like way more games than anybody. It's fucking crazy. Like how that team just went from yeah, bottom know, barrel man. to it's like strange. literally the best. Like in hockey, that's unheard of. Once you're a uh-huh. bad team to start a season, you never recover. Especially in this day and age in NHL, like what St. Louis accomplished is truly amazing because this league is so hard. Even teams like Jeremy's always like, oh, the Blackhawks suck. You know, they suck, but they don't. Their team is actually really good. There's just better teams, right? They're in a rebuild and they're still winning games. Like they just won five, six in a row. Yeah, I saw they were catching up on the uh, standings. Well, you you look at it like you're sitting 26 in the NHL out of 31 teams, but you're only like six points out of a playoff spot. That's how tight the NHL is. It's fucking crazy. It's ridiculous, man. A win and a loss can be your whole season. So, but yeah, there's our, of course our sports talk for the episode. <laughs> I'm sure people love that Super Bowl pick. What? Who's your Super Bowl pick? Super Bowl pick, man. Um, I don't know, man. I honestly, I don't know. Who are you picking? Uh, I'm gonna go with Kansas City. Honestly, um, I think that you know their two playoff games where they were down. Wow, dude, that game where they were down to the uh, Texas or the um, was it the Texans? Who was it that they were down? Texans twenty four nothing. Yeah, twenty four nothing Texans. And by halftime, they were no winning. the Titans. They were down to the Titans. Was it the Titans? Yeah, not Texans. Yeah, I'm like, dude, that's insane. You know, down down twenty four nothing, and then by halftime, winning. <laughs> you know, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, Mahomes, is he's done this a lot, actually. They get down because Kansas City's defense kind of is a weak point for them. So they'll get down if they don't score on their possessions. And all of a sudden, maybe not 24 points down. That's kind of an no, it extreme. No, it was Houston. Was it Houston? It was Houston. It wasn't yeah, and then they, they faced the Titans and were down like 10. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You're right. The next week. You're they right. Were- but you know they, they've made a they've made a life of this, and it didn't really surprise me that they came back and stuff. But this is a pretty decent Super Bowl matchup, actually. 49ers, Chiefs. I mean, it's new. It's new, man. Like it, this is this is uh, the future of the NFL right now. Like uh, you know, they said that this is the first time in forever that a quarterback not named you know Brady, Manning, uh, Roethlisberger, or uh, one other person wasn't involved in the breeze or something wasn't involved in a super bowl um in like a long time so yeah it's kind of crazy two two younger dudes it is though man it really is because i mean i don't know what's happening with brady if he's going to be in new new england next year and stuff sources say he's going to be in fucking san diego i'm actually gonna i'm gonna go on a limb here and say he'll be back in new england i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna put my money he's going to i just just thought it was funny when you I, i like i heard analysts saying that you know since uh um, what's his name from San Diego is most definitely not going to be there next oh, year. Rivers. Rivers. Yeah. Um, you know, that they might go after, you know, Brady and shit like that. And yeah. I was like, whatever. It, it, you know, it's all rumors. That's just the way analysts talk and stuff. But yeah, it, no, the, it, the chargers are definitely the front runners. If, if Brady doesn't sign with the Patriots, I, I almost guarantee that he probably goes to either Oakland or, um, I guess they're, what is, is Oakland still in Oakland or nope, they move? No, nope, they're going to be in Vegas. So Vegas or um, L.A. 
because they 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 want to sell tickets to, to their new stadiums. That's like the primary reason. But it, this actually off season is going to be extremely exciting because there's like a breeze is potentially going to be free agent. Um, you got uh, Philip Rivers. Like I don't know if a team will take a chance on him. Um, he's pretty old, but you know they might. No. Uh, you know, then you got. Man, Eli retired. Like it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm curious. I'm very curious. To see well, we're right at a turn here. Yeah, exactly. With Eli Manning retiring, like what today or whatever, and then, you know, like you said, man, it, it is a new generation. I mean, Brady's got a couple more years, and pretty much all those old quarterbacks are done. Breeze is going to be done in a couple years, right? I mean, these yeah. guys are at that oh, yeah, point, definitely. right? It's Even just, Ben is turning 38 this well, this ben, month or two. Ben, yeah, he's 38, going on like 67 with his fucking body. Christ, how <laughs> that guy even fucking still playing is beyond me, but. But yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like the the generation that we grew up with is pretty much all done now and stuff. And this is a great example of a Super Bowl with two young quarterbacks and very ambitious quarterbacks. But I think what it's going to come down to is strictly defense. I mean, both teams can score, but both teams give up points. <laughs> so this is going to be I, – I have a feeling this might be a super high-scoring game. Like a really yeah. high-scoring game. Like I think it's going to be back and forth. Okay. And basically who ends up getting the most point or who stops. Who gets the ball last. Whoever gets the ball last, whoever gets that key stop is going to win this game. Right? Yeah. I think I, I hope it's like that because I want to – I love I, – I grew up watching so many shitty Super Bowls. You know my history with the Bills losing really bad in four straight. But – but just a lot of other bad Super Bowls where it was super one-sided. I hate those games. Yeah, there has, they're so boring. There's been some good ones in the past few years where it's been really close. Some interesting comebacks by the Patriots against Atlanta and stuff like that. But you know, but they've gotten better. But I, I think this year could be really exciting just given what we have to work with. Yeah, there, there's been some great Super Bowls in the past couple of years. Um, you know, the, the one that sticks out was last year was kind of not that good. No, last year's uh, was actually one of the worst ones in probably the last four or five. Or the the Denver versus Carolina one was pretty atrocious, too. I remember that one sucking pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, that, that Seattle Patriots one was great. Um, it, like, exciting-wise, I, I hated the result. But <laughs> Yeah, that game, that game was amazing. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's our sports talk, though. <laughs> that That is our sports talk. I guess we probably should um, wrap up this intro, considering I have no idea how long it went on for it. I'm sure it wasn't two hours like the like the Watson one. No, this is pretty normal, like about 40, 40 45 minutes. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's going to conclude the intro. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Uh, JP, do we got some news? Yeah, actually we do, but it is kind of a down week for news. It's uh, surprising, actually. Um, funny when we don't have, like, a guest, the, the news is low. <laughs> yeah, go figure, right? Yeah. Well, that's why we have uh, to stretch stretch out the intro with the for, um, with some football and hockey talk and women's hockey talk. Who would have thought? 22 shots of Moods and Horn were talking about women's hockey. Yep. Alright, uh, first up here we got Danielle Harris is terrorized in a 50s themes ro- roadside diner in an upcoming film in from outside. It, it takes uh, place all in a 50s themed diner? Yeah, I guess. Uh the the That's I'm awesome. gonna be honest, dude, the cover looks pretty pretty awful. 
uh, if I'm going to be honest. But it says three couples find themselves at a 50s-themed roadside diner when one by one each of the patrons begin to disappear under mysterious circumstances. Starring Jake Busey as well as Jason Lively, James Duvall, and Daniel Harris. I, I mean, the concept sounds cool, but the poster does not look very professional. Is there any other info? Like, who's directing it? Or... Because, I mean, if it's a decent indie director, who knows, man? I mean, sometimes artwork. I mean, especially today. I mean, I've seen a lot of good movies. And actually, even Tom, the Horsebald, even brought this up recently, too. There's a lot of great movies out there with really bad artwork. Which is kind of fucked up. Yeah, so. yeah, it happens. But um, but then you get a lot of really bad movies with really great artwork, too. So it's, you know works out but uh i don't know i mean daniel harris has made i mean she's she's a working girl man she's taken I feel a like lo- she's been kind of quiet lately though she's been in she's been in quite a bit of stuff but i mean she also just had a couple kids right she had two kids very close together so she was off and on obviously oh, Project, okay. projects and stuff like that so yeah that was part of it so all but, right so uh the director here he had done <laughs> Let's see. Uh, nothing. American <laughs> Conjuring, which sounds like a Wild Eye movie to me. American Conjuring. God, that sounds bad. And the cover looks just as bad as it sounds. It, it probably is a film released by Wild Eye or to be released by Wild Eye. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. After that, uh, Mike Flanagan's three hour director's cut of Dr. Sleep is now streaming. Um, which you can see it. Where can you see this at? Um, what is that? An extra half an hour onto the movie? Or uh, three hour. Yeah. So it would be third, just under 30 minutes of footage. We haven't seen. Okay. I'm actually curious on that. Like I, 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 I can't watch it now. It's just too soon, but, um, I'm curious yeah, to see direct- what, yeah, what what the other footage is too. Maybe more at the hotel. I don't know. Does it really? Yeah. Need, Thirty minutes is a lot of time, though, man. Fuck, that's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, available on Amazon, but don't forget the director's cut on 4K is coming out in February, um, and apparently, like that cut is broken up into chapters, like a novel, is what he said. So. Mm. Uh, I'm definitely curious on it. Not something that I'm going to be like running to, but definitely the next time I watch it, it will be the director's cut. Yeah, for sure. Um, after that, Tommy Chong, which you just mentioned him earlier, Very strange. says he's been trying to write a Cheech and Chong horror movie. What? <laughs> yeah. I could just see that thing turning out to be like his script is so goofy and bad and fucking they just turn it into like an evil bong sequel. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just, I totally just think of it as I like. I think he was Abbott even in one Costello. of the Eagle, Evil Bong movies, wasn't he? Wasn't Tommy yeah, no, the first one. He was. <laughs> Fucking hilarious, man. Ah, shit, dude. Is it too bad he didn't think of this shit like way back in the day, man? Imagine watching a Cheech and Chong horror film in like in the eighties, in the heyday of eighties horror films. Dude, he's eighty-one. Yeah, man, he. He, he looks like he's 181 too but surprisingly talks still really well like he's kind of together considering how many drugs he does but yeah I, I mean I, I love Cheech and Chong I, I feel like I feel like some of their movies are like a miss for me but um, 
you know, like a couple of them, you know, up in smoke and next movie and, um, uh, nice dreams. And a couple of those other ones were good. Um, I didn't like, what was the one that like, the fucking musketeer one or something. I didn't really care for that oh, one. Oh, the Corskison Kors- brothers. Yeah, yeah. Cheech on next movie. Like, yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm actually a really big fan too. I think I have all their movies, but uh, yeah, Nice Dreams is fucking ridiculous. What is the one? Oh shit, I can't remember. I've actually like still smoking is another good one. Um, I actually grew up with those. Like as a, as like a little kid, I used to have them on VHS, and I would watch them all the time. Probably mm-hmm. didn't get a lot of the stuff that they were doing, but like I, I actually like I actually love Cheech and Chong. Like they they're fucking hilarious to me. Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't know like like I don't I just don't know if like they're like dude they're like eighty. You know what I mean? I don't know if I don't know like what. I, I know I Tommy know Chong is. I know he's a. He's a, quite a bit older than than uh, the Cheech Baron. Like there, there is a little bit, but but still, they're like in their seventies and eighties, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. How old is Cheech? Cheech is seventy three. Yeah, yeah. So. So they're eight he, years apart. Yeah, I, I remember that from back in the day, man. I was like, man, like, I looked it up and I was like, wow, fuck, they are like eight years apart, but. Because, I mean, Chong always just seemed way older. I mean, fucking Cheech was born in the 30s, for Christ's sake. 30s! Yeah, that's pretty crazy, man. I I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't... Dude, whatever. Do whatever you want. I'll maybe check it out. But, yeah, it's... Uh, it's kind of crazy, dude. They, like, they... they they're, they're a fun little duo, man. Oh, I fucking love Nice Dreams, man. That movie is funny as hell. <laughs> yeah, I kind of I kind of want to go through and, and watch watch them again i feel like they're so the ones got, that kind of they're the ones that kind of put that fucking that kind of that name on you know for drug dealers like you know mr ice cream man and shit because they disguise their ice cream vendor truck as a drug deal truck they just deal fucking weed out of it and shit i feel like yeah. that's where you know mr ice cream man comes from his fucking cheech and chong i don't know it's kind of funny it's hilarious yeah so you got up in smoke cheech and chong's next movie nice dreams Things are tough all over. Still smoking. The Coruscant Skin Brothers, and then you have like that animated one, which I've never seen. I do have it. I actually still haven't watched it yet, though. It's one I haven't seen. And then there's like the spinoffs, like Born in East LA with uh, with Cheech himself. I think that that's kind of when they kind of went their separate ways and did their own shit. Born in East mm-hmm. LA, it could be a lot better. There's a great idea there, but it's just, eh, it's just kind of lacking. Maybe Tommy Chong, <laughs> right? I don't know. It's yeah, not the greatest, but it's got a great title though. You know, I don't think I've seen things are tough all over. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. I think Corsican Brothers is probably my one of my least favorites too, to be honest. But yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, after that, we got Columbia Pictures is bringing back the Anaconda franchise to the big screen with a new movie. Oh fuck! Is this a remake or a reboot or a rehash or a fucking? Oh man, what's going on here? Uh, Columbia Pictures is developing an all new and all modern take on the cult movie. The site notes hiring Evan Doherty um, to write the script. The site sources describes the film as a reimagining of the original, with Columbia planning a big budget production in the vein of the Meg. 
Reimagining, that was the other word. So it's not a remake. They're not remaking this one. They're reimagining it. I wonder if they'll get J-Lo back. And Ice Cube. And Owen Wilson, your favorite. Oh, fuck Owen Wilson, man. I'd, ra- I'd rather have them have... What- which one was David Hasselhoff in? Was it the sequel or the third one? Or maybe the fourth one. Anyways, yeah, no David idea. Hasselhoff. I've seen the first two. David Hasselhoff. Yeah, I think he's in the third one. Maybe they should just get them all in there. Have David Hasselhoff mocking Owen Wilson's shitty nose and his bad acting and how he's not really fucking funny. And how David Hasselhoff's name is funnier than Owen Wilson's whole career. That would be amazing. <laughs> that's funny. Don't hassle the Hoff. That's the fu- that's the funniest thing ever compared to anything out of Owen Wilson's mouth. I guess so. He's not funny. It's like, I mean, I, I've always liked Owen Wilson, so I'm not going to be with you on that. I don't get it. I, I just, I've never understood the appeal of Owen Wilson. Like, seriously, I think I'm missing everything that he's saying because I'm looking at his fucked up nose all the time. Have you ever seen, like, Shanghai Noon? Yes, I have seen Shanghai Noon. It's good movie. Mm, his nose looked pretty shitty in that movie. Have you ever seen um, uh, Meet the Parents? Yeah, everyone's seen Meet the Parents. Yeah, he's good in that too. No, he's not. He's fucking terrible. He's a piece of shit he's in that movie funny. too. He's a piece of shit in that movie too. <laughs> you know, I don't really find Ben Stiller all that funny either, but it's kind of entertaining. Have I mean, you ever I, seen Marley and Me? I refuse to watch movies about that are that sad. I can't. When dealing yeah, with animals and sadness, I've ever cried I can't, dude. I just fucking. I'm, I'm. I swear, I'm getting like even in my old age. I'm like, I'm watching horror movies. I'm like, please, and like, I'll find myself saying this over and over in my head. Please don't kill the dog. Please don't kill the dog. Like, I just can't even handle it anymore. <laughs> even though sometimes it's like so fucking funny. Like, oh man, I don't know, dude. Like, it's not even funny to me. I just, I'm. I guess I'm getting old and emotional and shit. I don't like killing dogs on Dude, screen. No matter, no matter what you feel about Owen Wilson, he's a hell of a lot better than Luke Wilson. No, they both suck, but I, I hate, if Luke I had to Wilson. choose one of them, I take, I take Luke. What? That's crazy talk. That's I mean, just he, he was in that. He was in that movie. What vacancy? Yeah. Yeah, he was pretty bad in the movie too. Actually, sucked. Vacancy but, two is better than yeah. I, I think I actually I think I agree with you on that too, man. I haven't watched him in a while, but I think I remember liking Vacancy two more and probably thinking to myself, man, this movie's so much better without Luke Wilson. In it. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's why I like it more too, dude. I fucking swear we always we always get on these tangents about like just ripping on certain actors. Like fucking oh man, Jeff Goldblum. Fuck, Derek will not let me live this down. Like he brings it up almost every day. He, I'm called. They they call me Moods Bloom now, and shit. Like it's fucking because I just I, nobody can figure out why I have this deep hatred for, for fucking Jeff Goldblum. I I don't know. Sometimes some things you just can't explain. You just know deep down in your core, hidden somewhere in that fucking you know that dirty filthy soul of mine that I I just know that I don't like him. You, you don't What's have wrong to. With Jeff Goldblum. I don't know. I don't like it. I hate I just hate the way he acts. I hate his I man, I don't like the way he looks. Maybe I don't like his nose either. Maybe I have a thing against bad noses or something. It's his acting, the man. Kid. I can't stand it. the way he comes off to me, he has this like weird arrogance about him in every role. And I'm like, dude, you're Jeff Goldblum. You you can't be arrogant. <laughs> like your ego I can see your fucking ego. Your head is growing on screen. It's ridiculous. Fuck you, Jeff Goldblum. Oh. What about behind enemy lines? That movie, that's a good movie. Yep. But 
I can do with certain people. I can do with Starsky, Starsky and Hutch. Hated that movie with every ounce of every fucking passion I've ever had. Oh, I hate that movie. It's like dodgeball. I can't fucking stand dodgeball, dude. I can't. I can't stand dodgeball. I hate dodgeball. I know we're gonna get so much flack over this because every time I bring up dodgeball, everyone always trips balls on me. Like, how the fuck don't you like dodgeball? It's so funny. I'm like, it's fucking Ben Stiller and fucking all these unfunny fuckers. Dude, dodgeball know. sucks. Like, I, I'm not afraid to say that. Like, I've always hated dodgeball. The movie's stupid. It is, man. It's it's, it's just not. It, it's not even. That. I mean, all comedies are stupid to me, but it's just not funny. The only point to doing a comedy is to make it funny and if it's not funny well you're fucking Owen Wilson or, or fucking Ben Stiller although I, you know I do like Ben Stiller in a few well, movies they're making mind. a new Shanghai movie it's called Shanghai Dawn with Luke Wilson <laughs> yeah and Jackie Chan <laughs> is Owen Wilson in this shit or what not yeah Owen Wilson Jackie Chan oh this, is, this is the, the third they're completing the trilogy Shanghai Noon, Shanghai Nights, and Shanghai Dawn. It's like the it's like the of the Dead trilogy. Oh my god! Can't believe Jackie Chan's doing. I can't believe he did even two of those movies. Christ! I haven't seen him in forever. Oh, he's been in some good movies. He actually he played a villain in a film what a couple years ago. It was really good. But I've, Dude, I watched, I used I've watched to a watch, couple. Yeah. I used to watch Rumble in the Bronx like all the time when I was a kid. I love it. I haven't seen that movie in so long. I want to, I should revisit that. Like pre, you know, American Jackie Chan is like outrageous. That dude was on a different fucking level because he was so cool to film because he would do all his own stunts, obviously. Right. But so he just makes shit up on the fly. Yeah. So like when you're you're slider up in the air and I'm going to do a somersault over and then kick it with my back foot and it's going to flip over and then I'm going to duck under it. And I'm just like, what the fuck? But It's just his agility and his sheer, like, you know, just the martial arts aspect of it and stuff is incredible, but it's so easy to film. You don't have to cut, you don't have to edit. Like, it's just insane to watch because you're like, wow, he's really doing that shit. It's nuts. Fuck, he did some great movies, man. Those I Hong used Kong to days. love flicks like that when I was a kid. I haven't watched any of that type of stuff in so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been I've been wanting to pick up all those Jackie Chan releases from 88 Films, which I'm probably going to. They're actually really cheap right now, but get myself back mm-hmm. into it. I, cause, I, I didn't mean, it's how they were doing Jackie Chan. Yeah, so. they've been releasing a lot of actually a lot of companies over in in the UK, like Eureka and, and a few other companies, have released a lot of. Uh, Jackie Chan movies like Police Story. I think I think that might even release by Criterion here. But my point is a lot of the other a little bit more obscure to the American audiences Jackie Chan films from the Hong Kong days. But so many of them are coming out. It's crazy. They have like pretty much a Jackie Chan line from '88 films. It's awesome. So and uh, those are amazing. So I feel like watching Rumble in the Bronx now. I should upgrade that man. That's cool, dude. Our purest listeners are gonna fucking kill us this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about Jackie Chan and fucking Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course Jeff Goobloom, Goobloom, got fucking Owen brought Wilson. up. Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson. Oh my god. All right. Uh, first look. Um, this is from Bloody Disgusting as well. A reboot of Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories coming to Apple TV Plus this March. Hmm interesting yeah i don't have apple tv plus nor will i ever so i know i was just saying i yeah i have a lot of apple electronics i never got apple tv because i honestly don't watch a lot of general like just tv so and a lot of shit so yeah i mean i'll catch that on the bootlegs i guess or maybe get a media release i don't know (laughs) um let's see i was joking about the bootlegs by the way <clears throat> Dang. 
There, I mean, uh, okay, this is the last little bit of news here. Like God. I said, it was pretty dry week. Um, Richard Stanley's Dunwich Horror will expand his Lovecraft universe and feature the Necronomicon. Oh, yeah. So, um, basically, uh, speaking with Rue Morgue, he said, I'm pleased to say that SpectreVision has basically greenlit two more Lovecraft adaptations and I'm currently prepping my new adaptation of the Dunwich Horror. It will be set in the same milieu as Color Out of Space in a near future distant dis- disaster struck Arkham County. Hmm. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I I see I don't know shit about Lovecraft. Like I literally nothing. I know that like Reanimator's based on one from Beyond. Um yeah, that's that's all I know. I don't I don't know anything. I know way more about Poe. Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft was he was pretty interesting. I, I mean, I don't know everything about him personally and stuff. I know that a lot of his works have been ad- adapted. You know, I mean, I know one. I know that he died really young, like he died in his forties, which was kind of crazy. Um, I mean, that's wasn't that kind of common back then. <laughs> well, he, I mean, he was he. I think he died in the thirties like 1930s like he's not like he's not oh, like really? Poe age where Poe was you know in the 1830s and stuff like 100 years prior and stuff but yeah I mean he was pretty prolific with his you know with his works and stuff kind of you know more or less like like Poe ahead of his time with his type of stories and shit and I can see why people are still you know adapting these type of stories because you know he did the Cthulhu story and shit like that and just it just goes on and on but just a really interesting mind and I think you know people just want to take his ideas and just kind of give him the best adaptations out there and stuff right I mean think about some of the stuff that's been adapted that he was writing you know in the 20s and stuff like that it's crazy like yeah. very, very ahead of its time and stuff but yeah. what's your favorite um, adaptation probably Reanimator one of my yeah one of my favorite H.P. Lovecraft adaptations is Reanimator which you know it, the adaptation itself is a little it's like loosely ba- I mean it's the idea well, of it most stuff. of them are loosely based it seems well that's the thing I mean a lot of the adaptations they take the idea and kind of just go with it you know do their own type of thing and stuff but uh, Reanimator you know to stamp the name on there H.P. Lovecraft yeah Reanimator is one of my favorites to be honest because it's just it's one of my all-time favorite movies i mean it's got one of my well my tied for favorite actor um, jeffrey combs in it and just it's classic man it's classic all the way around it's an amazing film um yeah i like from beyond a lot from beyond is is good you know it's it's pretty much yeah yeah so all right that's the news cool fucking thing sucks okay so uh moving along here um Let's get into a knowledge segment that was actually an email sent to you, JP. The words I bring to you today is knowledge reigns supreme. You got no time to joke and play because knowledge reigns supreme. Yeah, it was actually sent to us like right before we started the show. Um, <clears throat> it is from Jim from t- Toronto. Um, Jim was that that Kim Cal- Cornelius? Cornelius, Cornelius, yeah. Hmm. Yep. Uh, so he says... Hey guys, it's been a while. Happy New Year. Thank you, Jim. Happy New Year to you as well. Happy New Year. He said, you may have already covered this before, uh, before I send this, but I was, and we have not, uh, but I was wondering what 
your thoughts were on the announcement made by Exploding Heads regarding going to a paid subscription for their podcast and others going down this route. I can understand why they have decided to do it, but is this the way things will be going in the near future, uh, in your opinion? Have you guys considered it? If things go down this road, who will survive because there's only so much extra cash to go around and already paying for multiple streaming services doesn't help? Will we get to the point where we'll have to choose between our favorite podcast? Could this be the beginning of the end for the grassroots podcasters who love horror and just want to host pods to talk about them for free? Would we ever have to pay to hear JP and Moods battling it out over a film or Jeremy calling people assholes? That might be worth paying for. LOL. Imagine the t-shirt idea. Jeremy called me an asshole on 22 shots. <laughs> Thanks, Jim of, from Toronto. Of course he called you an asshole. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. All right. So I, I'll start. Um, yes, I, I have he- heard about Exploding Heads' um, decision decision to go um, behind a paywall uh, exclusive to Patreon. Um, so a couple things here to unpack. First, um, they are doing this after episode 100 um, and their primary reasoning um, is that they want to make money um, to start doing a film, which they had talked about for a few years now wanting to do. Um, they've kicked around ideas and and talked about how, what they would want to do and stuff like that. And I actually think you know I think Christian has some talent. Um, uh, even like the videos that he edits and stuff like that, like and he you know his little short shorts and stuff like that actually could probably he probably is the one that has like the the creative drive out of those guys in terms of like filmmaking. So I can see that happening. Um, you know to uh you know putting the show behind a paywall um is is an interesting choice um i can't say that i'm surprised because i've seen other shows do this and it seems like a a lot of shows are going that territory um for me personally i will not do it um i know that moods and jeremy feel the same and moods can elaborate himself jeremy's not here um but you know, unless they were forcing me to do it, which I know they won't, um, I don't want to do it. And, and my reasons for that is because I've always hated limiting things from the public. Like we've talked about limited releases of, of Blu-rays. Like you're denying people from seeing film. I don't like that. Um, I don't like limiting the people that can listen to our show. So you guys don't have to worry. We're never going to do that. Like the timed releases is one thing for us. You know, we do in early access format which people do love that that are part of the patreon that you know download the episodes early um we get a lot of downloads from those and people seem to like the early access which i think is a fair compromise um for the listeners who you know and and, and, hey there's people that genuinely can't afford it do do i think that people should pay for content Uh, the answer is yeah i actually do think that um, if you really like something and it and it brings you entertainment, um, I think that you should 
you should pay for it. And and that goes for like, I, that's the same way. I don't like pirating movies. You know what I mean? Um, I, I know that everybody out there has done it here and there, including myself, you know, for specific reasons or whatever. But for the most part, I buy the movies that, that I watch. And I think that if you're, I think that's the way it should be. I think you should buy music. I think you should buy any, any forms of entertainment that you shouldn't, you know, just, take it and not expect to ever pay for things now do i think that everybody should pay for our podcast or another podcast no i don't if if you don't like it that much if you're if it's just something you kind of casually listen to then no it's it's not worth it for you to pay for but the people out there that that tell us hey you, like your show really gets me through the day and like we appreciate like i appreciate it so much all the hard work you guys do and stuff like that that's nice too but you know a, a buck or two uh, for the early access or something would be nice as well. It, 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 and not, not listen guys, the, the amount of money that we make from the Patreon is nothing. It's, it's like very, very little. So it's not about the money at all. It's about the motivation. It motivates me, um, to see growth and see some kind of just, uh, even, like when we first were able to pay for our hosting and our website and stuff without money out of our pockets, it meant the world to me because I was just like, wow, I created something. We created something that actually is paying for itself. That's like insane. It was so, I was so happy. And I, but you know, back to the point where I do think that this is content and the amount of time that we put into it, I, I think that. I think that it should be um, worth something to, to certain people, not everybody. And, and it's fine. If, if you're somebody who doesn't like, you know, that, that it just enjoys it for free and that don't think that it's worth any money, then yeah, you should don't, shouldn't have to pay for it. But the people who actually are out there saying like how, how much it means to them and how like great, uh, how, how great it is and how it like, makes their day go by so fast and how it gets them through hard times and stuff like that like hey i i appreciate it and i the kind words and stuff but if that was me and it and i do do this i donate to shows that do that for me because i i what is what is two bucks here and there you know um but at the end of the day to go back to the exploding heads thing i get why they're doing it it's not for me it's not for us. I see where they're coming from. I do think that the negatives to it is one, you're severely cutting your audience in, in sections. Like I could, I couldn't even imagine 50% of the people that listen to us, um, paying for it. If we went behind a paywall, I would say honestly more like one tenth of the people it's that, actually, it, it's that whole thing, right? You know, you, when you've provided a free service for people, and then all of a sudden you're asking them to pay. I mean, at that point, you're not really given the only option that these people have now is either pay or don't listen. You know, at least with the way we do things, we have a Patreon, but we don't force people to to donate or, you know, to buy shows and things like that. If they don't donate to it, we're still going to provide this free service for people. Um, and and that's, I think a, that, that's that, a big thing, dude. I don't want to ever force somebody to pay for something if yes. they don't they don't think it's like some people just think that it's it's cool it's like a it's something that i listen to so from time to time they don't think that it's this uh amazing thing other people think that it's awesome and super cool and stuff like that those are the people that a lot of them do donate to us but 
I, I get what you're saying. Like it's, I don't want to ever force somebody to pay for something that they might not think is options, worth anything. Options are a good thing, right? We ha- we have a Patreon, yes, you know, and, but we don't force people to, like I said, to you know, donate to that or whatever. And we still continue to do this free regardless of it. And I think that's a really good thing for the fans. And I think the fans and the listeners they they respect that. I think when mm-hmm. you provided a free service and then you solely don't give the option and you're going to go behind a paywall, I think you're alienating a lot of people. Um, I think you're hurting a lot of people's feelings. And I think you're you're creating a lot of controversy too because, I mean, I mean, you're obviously creating a lot of, you know, a lot of talk and a lot of, and I'm not just talking about exploding heads. I'm talking about for other podcasts that want to do this and stuff. I mean, you create, I mean, what are the true motivations here? So they're, with exploding heads, you know, they're they're talking about, you know, they want to do this movie and stuff like that. But people are going to question that. Like, are they, you know, is this is what they're using the money for? Or now they are they just getting greedy or whoever? You know, it just, it raises a lot of questions. I think you lose a lot of loyalty that way. And I th- and I honestly believe, and like, if you have a fan base, I mean, in my opinion, I don't think you're going to even retain 30% of those people that are going to start, you know, or, or gain. I mean, let's face it, man. I mean, their Patreon is a decent size. Right. But mm-hmm. at this point, I mean, are you going to be gaining more? I don't know. I don't think so. I never wanted, I never would ever want to be in that, put in, into that position. I mean, for me and you who come from doing, you know, YouTube videos and stuff, we provide a free service for people. We take our own time. We put that content out for, you know, for people to enjoy it. And it's also, it's like therapeutic to me. That's why I started making videos back in the day too. And I use this platform as the same way. It was therapeutic. And, you know, as somebody that, you know, is a fan of podcasting and, you know, and also as a podcaster, I wouldn't want to be in that position to have to choose that. Now do I have to pay for this or not? Right. Like I understand where you're coming from. You're talking about, you know, we put in all this time and stuff and, you know, I feel like some people should pay for that and stuff. I kind of feel opposite. I don't really think because I've also made the conscious decision to involve myself in this podcast. I know what I'm getting myself into. I don't really expect people to pay for it. And and frankly, I don't really want them to just to hear the show. I mean, like I said, again, the Patreon no, is an not option. A Patreon, a Patreon is just an option if they want to. It was something that was created because, okay, here's some options, guys. You guys want to get involved with the show? And that's how it was actually created was to get people more involved where, because we always used to have people ask, because, hey, can you do this show? Can you do this show? And we're like, okay. And then also we have 30 shows lined up and we can't get to them all. But, you know, if we kind of break it down with the Patreon, if you guys want to, you know, do this, you know, pay for this, blah, blah, blah. And it, it kind of worked itself that way. And But it's an option at the end of the day. That's the biggest thing. And at this, you know, and, and having those options, we're not hurting people's feelings. We're not alienating, alienating people. And, and like, I understand where people are coming from. You know, Jim talked about finances and stuff with all the streaming and the way people have to watch movies and stuff. There isn't enough money to go around to everybody. I mean, that's a fair point because I I did say like, you know, what's two bucks and stuff. But like if you if you spend if you have an entertainment budget, essentially where you, you know, you put 12 for Netflix, you put um, you know, five for Shutter, you put whatever for Hulu, you got your Spotify, you know, Disney plus or whatever. Yeah. All of a sudden that is, you know, 60, 70 bucks. And then can you add another, you know, three to five to 10 to it? I I get that. That's the thing, you know, like even when I never really even thought about it until you started naming off everything, but like I've been a prime member, but I, I I mostly use prime. I'm a prime member too. Right. So, I mean, with my prime membership, you know, my 15 bucks. No, I mean, I'm, I have like a prime account. So that includes the prime video and stuff. Can you just buy yeah, prime video a, just exclusively? 
No, I have a Prime. I pay fifteen dollars a month for my Prime. And you probably pay a year. Later. Oh yeah, yeah. I think mine's like eighty five or ninety dollars a year, whatever. I don't know. So ninety yeah. dollars a year. So I get the streaming service, but then you know I have Shutter, I have Netflix, I have whatever like Disney, all these things that I'm all of a sudden I'm paying like one hundred fifty fucking dollars a month. Right? I mean, it, it's it's true, yeah. Um, yeah, that's crazy, I, but, but dude. On, I just so crazy. Side, I get this too, though, because it's like I gotta start canceling some of this shit. Man. I'm gonna go fucking broke. <laughs> I buy all these movies and I'm paying all this money for streaming, but I no, my Prime accounts yeah, for four. I, of my I, I definitely need to keep some of the streaming, like yeah. Shutter. I couldn't really live. I actually it. use Shutter honestly more than I use Netflix for because Netflix. Yeah. Just I actually never just seems canceled to, my Netflix. Yeah, I, it, it never seems really to get anything. It. Like it's fucked, man. Like they have, you know, you know what they added in like the last three months. Literally forty five fucking hundred fucking East or like Indian movies. I'm yeah. like, that's it. I'm like, well, like I mean, honestly, dude, I watched a, like I honestly like kind of clicked in a couple, and I'm like, you know, I like those Bollywood, you know, the, the, some of that's just pretty fun and stuff. But I'm like, like, where's the other movies? I'm like, why they add so many of these things? I'm like, okay, Netflix is just just reaching. They're just grasping at straws right now. It's crazy. But uh, and and here's a, here's another example of something where um i've heard dave talk about this particularly okay there's shows out there that 100 percent are not as good as exploding heads are not as good as us 100 percent. and these shows are clearing like three thousand dollars a month four thousand dollars ten thousand dollars a month and they're just they're literally not as good um, so I, I kind of understand that concept too, where it's like, Hey, if everybody, if everybody who listened to this paid $5 a month, I could literally quit my job and podcast full time. How do these people get like that? Though? Okay. So what's the, what's their circumstances? Are they behind a paywall completely? Or did they have just, some by of chance, them are, did they have some like, of them. but okay. Like I said, off the top of the show, before we even started recording, it, you know, I think it really depends. Like if you have like a massive, massive following. Right. And then people like you have this huge following and you're you have a Patreon and people are like supporting like crazy and stuff. And then you go behind the paywall. Even if you lose some of that, you're still you're still maintaining a huge fan base and stuff. Like we don't really know exactly what our true fan base is. You know, same with exploding heads. They probably really don't know and stuff. So it's like it's it's a really huge gamble, in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like we're just not big enough, I think, to actually ever try. I mean, we wouldn't because I mean, I think I think it's well. Pretty- I, I can tell you right now, we're big enough to where if everybody who downloaded or listened paid three dollars, oh yeah, I mean, we probably the, wouldn't have to work in that sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I know that that's never because you're getting random people who aren't even fans who just like download because they were curious or whatever but like um i just have too much of a conscious dude like i honestly think about people before myself almost too much and i'm like the first thing i thought of was like what about how many people tell me that you know they you know they can't pay for the early access and they feel bad about that and you know they want to contribute to the patreon and pick shows but you know they can't afford it and i'm like right away i was like dude even even hurting one of those person's feelings you know just going exclusive and then now they can't even listen to the show when all they wanted to do was you know spend the money and you know pick a fucking main feature and they couldn't afford like the ten dollars or whatever you know i like and just the fact that you know putting a paywall in there and then being like dude now you can't even listen to the show like that hurts me to even think that I'm like no fucking way because the reason why we do this is because those people are listening and stuff. I would never ever want to alienate those people because I we do this strictly for at least I do. I do it for them. 
and you know, I like, I love doing this. I love sitting here in my studio and mm-hmm. recording and doing this shit. But at the end of the day, you know, that's what I said about last week about like, I wish people would comment a little bit more because the comments are getting far in between and stuff. And I think it's a lot of people are just so used to listening and stuff. And they maybe just think that we know what they're thinking, whatever. I don't know what it is, but it is nice to get the feedback because, you know, at the end of the day, we still kind of, we still get, we still get motivated by that. Right. And I well, think, it, it, you know, honestly, motivation is everything for us, man. And it really is, it, you know, it is, it, it's everything for me personally, because for somebody, you know, I haven't really been like too public about this. I haven't said it on the show, but I basically had to quit my job for oh, this I, show. I kind of made fun of that last week. <laughs> yeah. I, um, basically that I wasn't going to be able to record the show because of, um, this new thing at work where they, like they needed me to work when I would be recording the show or like it basically it, it it was a conflict of schedule and I, there was other things too. I'm not going to say like, Oh, I quit my job over just this podcast, you know, but, um, I did make a, a crazy life decision based on, my love for the show, which is, I know some people were probably like, you're stupid or whatever, but honestly I was really thinking about it and, and it was other things, but I was thinking about it. And I'm like, this show has made me so happy over the years. Like it's, it's one of, it's like my number one hobby besides watching horror movies. And it actually has brought me through some very dark times, like very bad things happened in my life and, and things like that. And being able to create and, put out a a product or a a content that people seem to enjoy has like brought brought so much like fulfillment to my life honestly and uh i've always wanted to create or or be you know do something that people were interested in uh so so that's a big deal to me and and honestly like i i was freaked out whenever i thought i was gonna have to walk away from it um, because I've always, I've walked away in the past for like temporary, like, you know, we, I, we've all, me and moods both have had, and Jeremy have had things in our life that come up where we have to take a break, but I never once ever thought that it like, I wasn't coming back. And this time I was like, wow, I might actually have to quit, quit. And it, it freaked me out. And I was like, no, I, I don't want to do that. But you know, so I took a, mm-hmm. I took a pretty big pay cut to keep doing the show and you know, I, I live pretty, pretty tight already. So it, it was pretty, it was pretty unfortunate. But when, when we're talking about things that motivate me, um, comments, uh, views, <clears throat> like if our show does better each year, like gets more views or, or downloads, like that motivates me because that makes me feel like I'm growing. But whenever we stop, the comments slow down, the views don't grow anymore um that actually discourages me a little bit because it makes me feel like i don't know it's just any any, anytime our numbers are good or something it it gives me motivation i'm like oh dude what what do you want like what what can we do next like what if we did like this like it it makes me creative and think about it but i guess that's with anything though right like if you're if you're playing basketball and you aren't progressing as a player like it discourages you and you don't want to do it anymore because you just feel like, you know, Oh, I've, I've peaked. I can't do any better than this This is the best I'm going to do. Let me try something else. Um, so that's the same kind of thing with podcasting. If we, if we don't keep growing, if we don't keep being successful, um, then it, it kind of like peters out a little bit. And, and also the Patreon, 
actually sparked a huge reinterest in the show. I mean, I've always been interested in it. And and truly, I podcast for fun, first and foremost. Like, I don't make shit off of, you know, me and Carly's show or Netflix and show or any other guest spots that I do. I just like doing it. So, Oh, you don't get paid for yours? Never. You no. sucker motherfucker, man. F- fucking Fresh Cuts pays me like a hundred bucks every time I do a guest spot on there. I bet they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably need to. Um, <laughs> you on. But uh, no, seriously, like I've always done it first and foremost for the love of doing it. And uh, like the, anything that comes after like um, some extra cash that we can use to pay the website or make shirts or even buy a Blu-ray or two um, has is is such an awesome bonus but at the same time it is just a bonus it's not the main purpose i do however you it would be stupid if i never thought that how awesome it would be if um i could make you know if i could pay my bills some of my bills i it would be really hard to pay all your bills with a podcast split between three people but i if i i, I have thought like wow that would especially be, my bills. i've seen Fuck. Other, yeah i've seen other shows do this you know i've seen people quit their jobs and podcast for a living i mean what what's better than doing the thing you love most for a living yeah we need to start uh, getting that last podcast on the left money man what do they make like fucking three hundred thousand a piece a, a year, year or something yeah it's they're, like they're insane. bringing in around a million dollars and it's like split between three people it's like holy fuck man like three hundred thousand. Yeah. like i don't even money. need all that if if i made like just enough to work a part-time job i would be fucking <laughs> like dude you wouldn't like i would be the happiest dude on earth i would be like holy shit like i'm actually doing something that i love for like money this is crazy like and you know like honestly truly if uh you know this is pure fantasy but like let's just say for example like me and you both like hit the lottery or something didn't have to work didn't have to do anything Mm -hmm. like you know the like amount of awesome content we would be able to create with no like worries besides like you know family stuff Mm -hmm. like (laughs) we would be able to put out like such better quality like just amazing episodes it would be it like i'm not gonna lie that would be a cool thing but I, it's just not realistic, and that's okay. I'm fine with being the way that it is. But honestly, I do any, – anytime we get – like when somebody joins the Patreon, like I get an email notification, like it instantly makes the next like 30 minutes to two hours of my life like happy. Like I'm just like, oh, that's cool. Like somebody else wanted to donate to us. Like it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you're doing a job, a good job because Speaking of that- feedback is important in order to – you know, if, if nobody's giving you feedback, you don't feel like you're doing a good job or, or how do you, how are you going to know that, you know, all, all your hard work and, and this is hard work, dude. Like, uh, mood said it the other day, like this is anywhere from like 12 to like 24 hours of, of dedication a week. That's a part-time job, mm-hmm. but go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, did we get was it a new patreoner that picked a show or was it a patreoner um, that was already- it was it was geno cyber i oh, think okay. it's it's a it's a regular guy who's constantly a pay who has been a long time uh patreon supporter okay. but okay. yeah he's pi- he oh, changed say, his okay i was gonna say if he was a new guy then we'll just give him a shout out because we usually do but 
Yeah. But no, I mean, I, I think that we're both in the same headspace. Like, we don't like limiting things. Um, and I, when we first started this Patreon, you could go back and listen. I said it then and I still stand by it. We will never do that. Um, I don't think I don't like frown upon people who do do it because they have their own reasons for for doing things and everybody's not us and everybody doesn't have the same like honestly like our we're closer with our listeners than most shows on the internet you know what I mean like we definitely are we have more uh, community direct lines of communicate like we have group chats with uh, tons of our listeners and things like that and i shouldn't have said that now everybody's gonna want to be in group chats with us but you know so it's different for us because we do have more of a personal attachment to our listeners and hey we came from the youtube community very different from the podcast community Mm -hmm. right yeah um so it i I get why somebody would want to do it and hell hell, if they're if they want to make a movie if that truly is what they want to do like i think it's cool but you had mentioned something before the show that they could have done a Kickstarter. Yeah. I say, I mean, if that was the ultimate goal was to essentially raise money to make the short film and stuff, I mean, they could have kept doing, you know, the free content and just started up a Kickstarter, which I think is a little less, I don't know. I don't want to be rude, but like a little less alienated and possibly a little bit more productive, you know, with, I mean, cause I think the route that they're taking them, in my opinion, they're going to lose a lot of fan base uh, I do wish them the luck, you know. I hope it. I hope it works out for them and stuff. But I just, I truly think that, just given the the circumstances and stuff, I think it's going to be a hard thing to to progress with. And but you know, I mean, if they've looked into it and done their research and stuff, I mean, and they think it's going to work, I mean, you know, I, I give them props and you know, I hope it works out in the end. But you know, it is what it is. Who knows? Uh, one thing that um, with the, <laughs> it's funny because like there's nothing stopping from there's nothing stopping somebody from just taking your episode and putting it online for free <laughs> i know right because uh, i've thought about that with these exclusive shows because um there was one show that i listened to it was actually a survivor podcast well, it's, no, it's no different than you know when people buy an album or get a promo copy and stuff and you go to the bootleg sites for and and it's there you know, like you're still selling copies in store, you're selling digital, but I mean, this shit is like for free download on certain websites and shit. It's like anybody can do this all the time. I mean, fuck dude. I mean, I don't obviously have people, you don't have to pay to watch my YouTube channel, but I've had people steal like 40, 50 videos and start their own channel and and pretend their moods. This has happened three on three different occasions. now. Yeah. I remember that. It's happened three fucking times now where people have taken my (laughs) videos and pretended that it was me or they pretend it was them. And it's fucking me. I'm like, what the fuck, man? (laughs) But that's what I'm saying. It's just so easy to do. Right. Anybody. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, I see I see I'm actually curious to see how it plays out for them because um you know th- we're we're already around similar spots with the Patreon in terms of like supporters so um I I'm certain that their numbers will go up but I'm curious to see like let's say they have 100 Patreon supporters right So you have a hundred listeners essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, that just seems so low compared to, you know, the couple that like 800 to, you know, 1500 
downloads slash plays that we get you know what i mean mm-hmm. and that they probably get too it's like you know one tenth one fifteenth of of what your listeners were but at the same time those are probably the hardcore fans that care the most too yeah but i think but at the end of the day i think the the casual to the non-hardcore listeners are the majority of your audience too though right so oh definitely so i mean when you when you make up that difference it's like holy shit man you know if if that's gone then there isn't much left so i mean i i think it's risky i think it's really risky for a lot of reasons i think that I think that, you know, moving forward is going to be harder, but you also can't go backwards either. And I think that's the main, that's one of the main focuses that I'm looking at here. Like you can't go backwards because I think once you've made that leap to, to, you know, to the paywall and you do that, you can't go back. Cause I don't, I, I think once those people are gone, they're gone. I don't think like if you went back to being like, okay, well this Patreon paywall thing didn't work. Um, so we're going to go back to doing free content because we need fans back as we're kind of struggling. I, I think that like, I think a lot of people are a lot smarter and, and they'll see right through that transparency and be like, no, I, we seen what you try to do one time and uh, that's it. I mean, that's just the way I think though, too, because like, I, I mean, you kind of get hurt by that. I mean, I mean, it's, it's hard to go from something that's free to all of a sudden paying for it. Like we were talking about before the show and stuff, it's like, you know, you brought up the fact that, like, you know, people pay for television, they pay for, you know, this service, this streaming service. And, and then I use the example of, but those things were always pay. You always had to pay for those things. People are used to that. Once you have something for free and then you all of a sudden you have to pay for it, it changes your mentality. Not only about what you're doing, what like how you listen to the show and stuff and what you want to do with that show, but it also changes your view of, maybe the creators and where it's coming from and stuff like that too. You're like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I actually am a Patreon to exploding. Heads. I just wouldn't actually, want to lose that in like almost that intimacy with a lot of the fans. I mean, I know that that word kind of sound but gross, but you know what of, I mean? One, of the, one of the we, things they're saying though, is that, that though. their intimacy is going to be stronger with the people well, that I mean, actually support like said, the show because what, they're going to have this secret group where only those people that support or they're basically they're almost like canceling their exploding heads group in a way and just creating a new one that's more private and more uh it sounds cultish to me man (laughs) it does sound cultish but a little bit but i mean again like if they've done if they truly think this is going to work again i wish them all the luck but in my opinion i think it's really really dangerous on so many different levels i just wouldn't want to fuck up you know the fun that we're having and, and try to do something that in my heart, like, I mean, I just, I, I, I try not to be negative, but at the same time, you got to be realistic though too, right? And I just, I see the cons outweighing the pros here and that's a, that's a huge red flag for me. So, and I, I mean, I, th- I, I truly think that a lot of people will also see it that way too, but like I said, who knows, man, it might work. It might not. I guess we'll have to wait and see, right? Yeah, I actually am a, a Patreon member for Exploding Heads, but one thing that I like am honestly like kind of bummed out about this whole thing is I don't fucking listen to podcasts on Patreon. I hate it, you know. So not being on iTunes is kind of a deal breaker for me with most shows, you know. Um, I do, I do. I do support certain shows that are, you know, um, exclusive to Patreon, but they also eventually 
release their it's like timed exclusive so like patreon they'll do a show and then like a month later it'll be available for everybody else um so it's like kind of what we do with the early access but it's like long early access but yeah i Mm -hmm. I, i'm a big i i I listen to podcasts in a certain way i like the convenience i don't want to listen to them on patreon personally but um so that's something that i don't think was um, mentioned it like i guess it's they can't put it on itunes then if it's well no because everything those type of platforms is is free use right mm-hmm. again anyway. again you know i mean like but you just made another point though like you're even losing you and you're a hardcore fan so it's, yeah, it's so like it's i said again the my, pros it's the cons- actually my if i'm being honest exploding heads is I think the best podcast, uh, horror podcast, um, they do. I mean, I, it's probably a lot because of like, it's a combination of like our show, which is what I, I like. <laughs> so like, that's why this show was kind of created like that is cause we like the, these type of content. Um, and then also like Brandon, Christian, and Dave are, are just really funny too. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, I really like, I really like a lot, a lot of horror shows, but that's one that I think is, it stands above like a lot of the other horror shows. So yeah, I, but I mean, I, my thing is like, I, I never was a Patreon for anything other than just to support them, but like that, that sucks uh, that it's not going to be available that I have to listen through patreon because i just don't like doing that it i like to download the show so i don't have to use my data too you know what i mean yeah even though i I have nearly unlimited data it's just like it cuts out and stuff because sometimes i don't have good service um but i guess i i don't know can't i think you could probably download it off of the patreon i'm not sure Mm -hmm. yeah like i i can't even fathom it man actually i was listening to you know take a personal podcast today actually and, you know, I just, you know, I downloaded it on my phone and like for the podcast app and stuff. I was at the gym and I was listening to the Spice One interview and stuff on there today. And, you know, I just, I couldn't even imagine just like, I mean, I would support the show. I actually, they do have a Patreon. I should actually support their show. They actually do. And it was funny because they actually beat around the bush for a couple of years. They didn't want to do it because they're like, oh, we don't want to take money. We're just doing this shit for fun. But they're like, and people kept hounding like, oh, I want to support the show. And they actually had people like, we want to pay you <laughs> kind of thing. Right. So, but I'm just thinking like. I couldn't even imagine just like, you know, all of a sudden being forced to fucking listen to that and shit like that. And I was actually listening to, to Wes Craven's show the other day too, barbershop talk, which actually I'm going to be guesting on, on Monday. I'm actually going to be recording a, a spot with them. Um, have you ever listened to Wes's cool. show? Yeah. So it's just, they, they do, do it's mostly, it's mostly a hip hop show. Uh, they do do like the odd movie review and, you know, commentaries and things like that, but it's mostly, you know, hip, shooting the shit about hip hop and, you know, current events and, and things like that. So, but it has been trying to get me on the show for like, I think th- since they started the show like a year ago, he asked, he asked me all the time and I can never fucking do it. Right. Um, but anyways, yeah. So I, I was just thinking about that. And I was again, you know, on the podcast app, you know, download the show and fucking just listen to the show. It's right there. I don't want to have to be like worrying about money coming out of me. No, I don't have to worry about money coming out of my accounts and shit, but you know what I'm saying though, right? There's just, there's variables there that are just not appealing, right? When it's free, it's free, man. Yeah. So thank you, Jim, for the question. Um, that's like now the second full time we talked about this because we actually talked about it before 
we went live and then we got that email. So I'm like drained on talking about it, but that was actually kind of weird. We were literally in the middle of talking about it. We almost had like the same conversation twice. (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much. Um, yeah, that's fucking weird. (laughs) It was actually really strange timing, but how often do we actually get to a question that, you know, is, is emailed to us and then just do it right away. Like the same minute. It doesn't happen very often on the show, but but actually, we needed content because if you guys haven't noticed, it's just me and JP tonight. It's uh, just the two of us. Oh, my God. I got to do that every fucking time. Just the two of us. See, um, I always think of the Eminem one. You know, oh, just the two of us. Of course, us. you think it's like Eminem. Ride, <laughs> just the two of us. Soon I. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, going to conclude knowledge. Uh, thank you, Jim, uh, again, for your... Um, your email because we really appreciate it. We honestly don't get them anymore. And it's kind of a lost thing with us. We don't even really give out the, uh, the actual um, voicemail number anymore. It's in the, yeah, when Jeremy's a, on, he gives it out like every time. Yeah. And the show notes listen to that. <laughs> <That's what I'm> <laughs> actually, someone actually told me the other day that they actually listen read to the end of the show all the time. And they always hear the stupid shit that I put at the end of the shows. And I'm like, that's so funny. Cause no one ever comments on it. So I'm like, yeah. I don't think anyone ever listens that far for real. Like, it's not just a joke against Jeremy's outro. It's like, literally the shows are six hours long. Like who the fuck is still listening to the show kind of thing. Right. But he's like, no, nah, I, I hear, I can't remember who I was talking to. And they're like, no, nah, I hear the fart noises and the, and the samples that you put at the end and shit. I'm like, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Anyways, yeah, that's uh, that is knowledge. All righty, so getting into this week's box office brawl. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. JP, do you want us to enlighten us on uh, the numbers? Yeah. So uh, last time it was underwater. Um, and you said 6.5 million. I said 11.5. Jeremy said 13.5 and it only made 7 million. So you were only 500,000 off of that. Damn. I should get an extra point for that, man. That should have been in the rule book, man. If you come within like 500,000, you get an extra point. Cause that's pretty fucking close. I've, I've actually thought about that and I actually have a couple more ideas for possibly next season. Um, that I could run by you guys, but that's like twelve months away. So, uh, but did yeah, you, that's did you just not, say season? Not... Yeah, <laughs> actually, that would have been an interesting thing to do. That in seasons, have two box office brawls for the so you have one for the first six months of the year, and then one for the second half. That's wow. how we do our MMA poll that I'm in with uh, Jerry uh, Venom and uh, Mike and Luis and a couple of my real life friends. We do it in six month increments. Mm-hmm. Jerry's won twice in a row. Of course he has, man. Yeah. So uh, this week's film was The Turning. Um, I honestly did not have any clue what to do with this one. It's PG. Um, I kind of went with um, just like where I've been kind of going with like 10 to 13 million. Uh, I said 10.65, very specific. Um, Jeremy said 12 and mood said 9.7. Honestly, it's pro- like based on the numbers that came out today for the Thursday night previews, it is probably looking like moods is probably going to hit another one. Cause I, it's probably going to come in around like seven to 9 million. So, you might be getting another point. So I, the score right now is one moods, one Jeremy, and me nothing. Man, I can't believe how close our picks are every week. That's crazy. Yeah. 
because these are blind picks now too so yeah they're not actually knowing what the other person picked i don't know what possessed me to pick 9.7 i just thought it was a good well i've been kind of <laughs> i've been kind of going like more of the weird numbers too to like avoid a tie yeah i th- I, th- I think that's actually a bit of my thought process there too i'm like i'm pretty sure no one's gonna pick 9.7 so because it literally happened like two weeks ago where i'd picked the same as you or no jeremy jeremy yeah i picked yep. the same as jeremy which is crazy right because like i said we're these these are blind uh, we don't yeah. know we're picking so yeah that's kind of weird but ian's both picked 12 yeah. back then yeah so and yeah and it's so, funny too because i'm like my guesses are relatively close because i don't really do a lot of research the only thing i'd look into is just to find out how many theaters are in because i think that's a good you know starting point you know just to think about it. i'll factor in you know even cast and like the rating and stuff but I mean, there's a big difference if it's in 1900 theaters to 35, right? Yeah, I mean, it's huge just, difference. Just a fucking yeah. massive. You kind of need to know. It's that. actually hard to find that information now because um, I noticed Oxford that, dude. I I changed. actually I actually did this with the turning. Like, I didn't even really look into it at all. I just kind of fucking. I was like, uh, I knew the kid from Stranger Things was in it, and I was like, okay, he's kind of hot, and but I'm like, this is PG-13. It looks like trash. That is wild. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, uh, whatever, fuck. 9.7 sound like a good yep. round non-number so yeah <laughs> that yep that's box office brawl i am the devil and i am here to do the devil's work they will say that i have shed innocent blood what's blood for if not for shedding i like to dissect girls did you know i'm utterly insane have you checked the children children, children. what do we do why don't we just Wait here for a little while. See what happens. Alrighty, so getting into some dub, dub, dub. Y'all know the routine. It's where we go round tree, which isn't really with two people. Is that even a round circle tree? It's just like back and forth, I guess. Yeah, back and forth. So this week we're going to go back and forth. Uh, and uh, do some mini reviews, give some ratings, and uh, pass it across the table. Um, this week I'm going to start because uh, I've actually got more than JP, so it'll just work itself out there. Uh, this is a Patreon pick coming from... Holy fuck, I did it again. I don't have the names on here. Yeah, I was just looking and you deleted mine, which you told me you did earlier, but I totally forgot that I didn't know the name. Oh, but you know what I did, though? I even had them written down and I think I deleted the names like off my. So I know I did it in the Patreon, but I actually had them on my page, like on my notes here. And somehow I accidentally deleted the names. (laughs) Shit. So fuck. Anyways, um, Patreon pick. Sorry again. I apologize if it's you. Awesome. Uh, first pick here is from 1989, and it is called... I'm not even going to attempt to try and pronounce this first name. I have no idea even where to start with this. thought I was good with reading, but this is crazy. But it's like Yurosukidoji? I don't know. Colon, Legend of the Overfiend. Uh, it's a you know, Japanese anime um, film. Basically, this one is about... Man, this is kind of an interesting film, actually, because, well, I'll get into the synopsis first, but it's basically about um, these three worlds. You know, it's got the, like, there's three, there's three worlds that kind of coincide together, uh, which is the human world, there's a demon world, and there's, like, a man-beast world. And they, they all kind of, you know, live together, and they kind of, you know, coincide with each other and stuff. Uh, so basically, the plot of the film is every 3,000 years, there's this um, 
this kind of uh, super god that is reborn uh, called the Chowin, 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 something like that. And what he, when he gets reborn, he basically kind of decides what he's going to do with the three worlds. Like, um, is he going to kind of merge them or is he going to make them better and things like that? They don't really know what he's going to do. Um, so essentially what it is, is you got this one dude, um, again, I'm not going to pronounce names because they're all in Japanese and they're really hard to fucking pronounce, but there's a guy that's uh, kind of our, he's kind of our hero. He's part of the man beast world. And he is set, you know, he knows about this Chowen that's going to be reborn in a human. So he's taken liberties to find this human that, you know, where the Chowen is going to be reborn in because he wants to protect the three worlds to make sure that the demon god of the demon world doesn't get a hold of this Chowen before because basically what he wants to do if he gets a hold of this god is use the powers for bad. He's going to, like, you know destroy the worlds and, and not create you know do certain things just do bad things with the powers and stuff um so yeah they've got this man beast where he basically is trying to protect and find this person he finds the actual human where the chowen's going to be um you know born and he decides to protect him and it's basically just a fight you know it's man beast against demon and things like that and stuff so um but that is basically the you know the kind of premise of the of the film um this movie right here is actually pretty well known for being the film that kind of created the whole um hentai movement uh, basically what that is it's kind of like anime porn in a sense and kind of popularized like you know tentacle tentacle fucking and you know and tentacle rape and shit like that uh so basically with that said this movie is very graphic it's got a lot of like it's got a lot of tentacle rape and it's got a lot of demon penises and demon sperm and shit like that because one of the characters in this film is actually like a nympho and there's this there's this really crazy scene where this girl gets called into this room in the beginning of the film and then the teacher turns out to be this this fucking demon and she starts raping her with this demon penis and shit and it just kind of goes from there it's really really graphic and stuff like i said it kind of plays off like an enemy porno but it's got this you know this really kind of ludicrous um you know storyline you know this narrative is kind of crazy involving all these three worlds and there's a lot of characters involved and shit but i will say man this is a pretty interesting movie because even though where it goes and like the third act isn't really my favorite in this one i thought the ride to it was actually a lot more fun than where it goes in the third act but um with that said it was still pretty decent and stuff but it's very very fast-paced it's uh it's very sexual it's very odd it's very japanese um it's uh very very fast-paced very gory very gory and graphic and shit like that and i think that's what's probably appealing to this (laughs) that's uh, very appealing to people when they watch this film because it's pretty much some shit that you've never seen if you're not really into japanese anime or anime in general and you were to watch this you'd be like holy fuck man this is absolutely insane shit but uh i can see how this would kind of start a movement and stuff it's um very interesting for what it is Uh, i can't say that i overly loved it but i did really like it a lot Uh, it's got a lot of shit to offer um i think with a one-time watch it'll not this the story won't make a lot more sense i completely understood the story and stuff like that but just following characters in this is because um i actually ended up watching the the english dub version so it actually wasn't in japanese i couldn't even find the japanese one to be honest i even looked for it too but um but I was fine with watching the Japanese or the English dub because it's it's an anime. Does it really matter, <laughs> right? Uh, but I have heard there's like su- subtle differences in the, the way the dialogue is tells the narrative and stuff. And I'm like, okay, with words like the sh- the, the shojin and overfeeding, like there's differences in the, in the way things are described and stuff. But either way, you know, it was uh, really fun. Actually, I would recommend this to you know people that are fans of anime and you haven't seen this and shit. But uh, um, 
yeah, what can I say, man? The animation was, you know, from 1989. I thought it was really good and stuff. Um, a lot of the characters, they kind of look white and stuff. It's kind of interesting. Um, like, kind of this hybrid between Japanese and white characters. I always find that funny in, in Japanese anime when the characters are, you know, they're not kind of set in their own country, but, you don't. they're kind of set in this, you know, this off-reality world and stuff. But then you're looking at them like, they look more white than Japanese or Asian. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know why that is sometimes, but... Uh, but overall, man, I had a blast with this, man. Actually, the fucking the the dub on it, I thought was really funny too, man. I thought some of the actors and stuff did a really good job for the dub. But like I said, I can't compare it to you know the the native language one because I haven't seen it before. But all in all, man, it's definitely um, a very historic film. Like I said, you know, kind of the start of the whole hentai type thing and stuff and the tentacle. But fuck, man, I I, I was not really knowing a whole lot about this film going into it, so. You know, I, I'm watching this shit and it seems pretty normal. And then that first scene where, you know, the rape happens with this demon dick and shit. I'm just like, what the fuck am I watching? And just like, it, it, it's like relentless through the whole movie, giving what the storyline is like trying to protect the worlds. And there's a lot of rape and stuff. And I came to the conclusion that I don't think there's any consensual sex in Japan. I think it's all rape <laughs> with demon penises. It's fucking insane, man. I was like, wow, this is like crazy relentless. But, you know, I mean, for... A pretty much a two-hour anime it fucking flew by it really did i had a lot of fun with it a lot of a lot of a lot of characters a lot of demon a lot of different types of things going on which is kind of interesting so uh eight out of ten i enjoyed it man i i recommend it i think there is a sequel to this too um yeah it says it's showing part two so i, I probably gotta seek that out sometime and check it out because i had a lot of fun with this it was interesting all right cool sounds interesting rape yeah. tentacles stuff I know. like that I don't know how often rape gets brought on the show like a lot but like you just don't get to talk about anime rape and demon penises and sperm it's weird and it's graphic dude it's fucking so graphic <laughs> this movie man it's crazy yeah alright uh, so my pick sorry I don't have your name um, but they gave me Charlie Says from 2018 um, this is a Charles Manson film um, I actually remember people talking about this one a little bit back in 2018 I never got around to it did you actually see this one uh, no no I actually didn't mm. see this movie I know about it though yeah yeah uh, so based on the Manson uh, murders um, we have uh a it, it actually opens up with um uh some of the manson girls and they're incarcerated so it you know it's told in sort of flashbacks essentially um where we get these present day scenes with the manson girls in 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 prison and then uh like sort of like them talking and uh you get these flashbacks of the what was it called spawn ranch or something um and charlie charlie manson with uh the girls and um basically like what this movie really does is it 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 victimizes the girls um it makes them which we know that they were puppets essentially but it, it showcases um the manipulation of charles manson uh and how he was very controlling of these women and very um you know manipulative towards them as well as uh it show it paints him as more of uh I, like it paints him in a smart way because of his manipulation, but it also paints him as, um, I guess it, it kind of 
detaches some of the lore of him a little bit and makes him more just like a dickhead. Um, like he's very contradictory with his beliefs. Like he convinces these girls like, you know, to see things his way. But like, there's a scene where, um, he tells them that they shouldn't eat meat and stuff like that. But then he wears, he wants like a deer skin vest to show off to the record producer or whatever. So very contradictory and, um, you know, but it, it, it definitely does a good job showcasing of how he just like basically, you know, controls the hell out of them. And, um, even not only them, but like, there's a scene where he, uh, basically tells this dude, he's not like, like in vagina correctly or whatever. And, and basically <laughs> teaches him how to do that. So there's, there's, uh, stuff like that. Um, the murders are, um, you know, not the most intense that I've seen. Uh, or, you know, cause the Tate LaBianca murders, uh, kind of a known thing. Um, like a high, like the climax of usually the Manson story. Um, I, I like the setting. Um, they did a good job of like creating the spawn ranch and, and making it feel like this, um, you know, hippie cult type thing. Um, they do a good job with the, the, the hippie girls as well. Um, actually some pretty decent performances by some of the girls, um, there's kind of a lead one that is a little bit more sympathetic than the other ones you kind of feel um, you know that she was a bit more of a victim uh, but overall uh, I mean I think I'm just burnt out on the Charlie Manson story um, so it didn't do any like I didn't feel like it was anything that hadn't been done before like hadn't been I mean some some of the stuff deep down at its core was a little bit different you know like the how they showcased Char- i mean everybody knows charlie mansion was very manipulative but i guess just seeing it played out in this long form um was kind of interesting but overall um you know basic charlie manson's story um I-, I guess i give it a little bit of credit for how it was told with like the flashback and the current incarceration type thing that they were doing so um i gave it a seven out of ten cool cool yeah i don't I, you know honestly i think i'm a little bit kind of burnt out on the whole manson thing too a little bit and it's kind of he never was my favorite um of the the serial killer stories much rather um like see like henry lee lucas or jeffrey dahmer or even ted bundy or john wayne gacy manson was always kind of like the one that i was never as interested in i guess because he didn't really kill anybody too yeah, I mean, I followed so much when I was younger and growing up. I just felt like I just kind of exhausted everything. And it, it seems like a lot of the stuff is kind of being rehashed to a point, you know. They're just kind of telling the story from different perspectives. And, you know, like you said, using the women as, like, you know, victims, like hardcore victims and stuff. And, you know, I mean, there's only so many ways you can really tell the tell the story, I guess. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, at the end of the day, the Manson story is pretty fucking interesting and it's it's just time capsuled in that period and shit. And it's just, I don't know. It, it is still interesting, but I mean, as long as they're done properly, you know, I mean, it's like any serial killer type movies. I mean, there, there's some good ones or some bad ones. It's like with the Jeffrey Dahmer films too, right? Exactly yeah. the same thing. I mean, some are decent, some are good. And, and I, you know, that's probably the most interesting thing about serial killer films is how they're going to tell the story. Are they going to be sympathetic to this person? Are they going to do, you know, like when you tell the, the, um, 
the uh, the high school days of Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, like that's an interesting way to tell the story because it, it doesn't focus on the Dahmer we know. You know, it focuses on him becoming that monster and kind of the movie ending with, you know, him becoming that person. So I think I think it's just on how, how you tell it. Have they ever told a story like a Manson story, like as him as a child? Not that I know, but that would be kind of interesting because I know like his childhood was actually a little bit of a mystery because from what people knew for a little bit was more or less lies. Like he actually lied about his childhood quite a bit. And then the truth kind of came out later that some of the shit that he was saying and stuff wasn't actually true. So, but yeah, Charlie says there. Hmm. Cool. Okay, moving along here. Um, another Patreon pick from. Again, I'm really, really sorry. I'm not sure who picked this. I feel like I'm doing this a lot, man. I can't believe I erased the names off my fucking notes. It's so bad. Uh, from 1987, directed by Jose Ramon Laritz. Yeah, it's pretty fucking crazy. Uh, movie called Rest in Pieces. Um, I always remember this movie from the VHS days having amazing artwork. Um, it just and, and the title's awesome too. Rest in pieces. That's fucking. It's amazing. Uh, but he's mostly known for directing uh, like Symptoms, which is an amazing film from 1974. Uh, Vampires also from 1974, which is another one I really like and stuff. Um, you know, he went on to do like Stigma. He did that fucking crazy ass Black Candles movie with like the goat rape <laughs> scene and stuff. Uh, Edge of the Axe, which. Um, Arrow is actually just putting out on Blu-ray and I think it's coming out like this week officially. And Arrow's also putting out Deadly Man- Manor, which I've actually never seen before. Um, so he, you know, he has a little bit of a catalog. Um, and Arrow also put out a box set too with Whirlpool and a couple other films and stuff too. But um, he at one time was a really kind of artsy, not like full-blown artsy director, but he did, you know, films like Vampires that was a little bit more of a different take on vampires, vampires you know, a little bit more artsy take and shit. Um, a little bit more hypnotic and psychological and stuff like that. But, you know, moving into the 80s, he kind of was really into making, you know, American standardized, you know, kind of slasher, kind of ghost stories and shit, you know, stuff that wasn't overly original. But this movie right here, Rest in Pieces, is kind of the product of like taking these American elements, mixing them together and just being like really fucked up. <laughs> This is ridiculous, man. So basically what this movie is about, it's about this uh, this young married couple that just inherited um, the wife's uh, aunt's uh, fortune. Uh, her aunt actually uh, dies and leaves her like $8 million in this big mansion and stuff like that. And um, so, and it works out great because her husband's like this struggling, you know, tennis player and stuff. He was like an ex pro and shit. And he's just like going nowhere with his life and stuff. So it works out perfect because she's struggling her life. And, you know, so they get to move into this huge mansion and, you know, whatever. But it's, it's kind of weird because they, they go to the lawyer's office in the beginning of the film and, uh, they get to watch the video of her aunt, uh, you know, basically committing suicide on it. She drinks strict nine and kills herself right on camera. And they're like, holy fuck. So anyways, they move into this house and right away, they notice some very odd things that, um, there's a bunch of people that actually live in this huge mansion. And so upon doing a little bit of research into it, they couldn't find like any invoices or they couldn't find that, you know, that any of these guests or these tenants were actually paying rent and stuff. And they're like, so they asked him like, what the fuck is going on here, man? Like you live in this house rent free. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, your aunt, you know, they did us favors, blah, blah, blah and stuff. And so essentially the couple's all weirded out because they have all these tenants that like live in this huge place, even though the place is so big that they're not really, you know, they could be in their own little spots and stuff. But 
But anyways, they, you know, they soon learned that the guests actually have a motive for being there and stuff. And they also realize that they can't really leave the property either. So that is the synopsis of the film. It's a, it's kind of a, it's kind of one of those weird setups where you're like, okay, I think I know what's going on with this. Is it going that way? And it kind of does. It kind of goes exactly where you think. And you're like, there's like eight or nine people that live in this house. Like, are they alive? Are they dead? That's where this movie becomes so bizarre. It's like the most, uh, it's the most muddled fucking storytelling of all time because they, you know, they obviously tell you why the guests are there and stuff, but they don't really tell you the true motivations and actually the true motivations behind why the guests won't let them leave either. You know, it's more or less, it's um, instructions from the dead aunt and stuff like that. And it's just this really, really bizarre take on like, are these people ghosts? Are they zombies? Like what's the motives and shit? And like, so the whole time you're watching this movie, you're like, what in the fuck is going on? It's just ridiculous storytelling. Um, it's actually kind of boring. There's not really a lot of great scenes. There's, there's a pretty decent scene, you know, probably about a half an hour or two in the bathroom and stuff. Um, not really a lot of blood and gore. It's, it's kind of light on that aspect and stuff, but just really strange characters, really strange dialogue, really strange setup. Uh, there's one scene that is cool where the guests invite this guy over and they end up killing him and stuff. But at the end of the day, you're like, how does that play into the narrative? Like it really doesn't even make a whole lot of sense. And then to make things worse, the third act happens. And then the shit just goes like bat shit, man. All this crazy shit starts happening. And you start asking yourself more and more questions. And then the final scene happens in the film. And then you're like, what the fuck did I just watch? Like, it's like, it's one of those combinations of like a foreign filmmaker making an English script and doing all the, you know, taking what he thinks that he's, you know, taking certain things from it and just like doing it all wrong. (laughs) It feels like that's exactly what happened in this film. But even with that said, being the most ridiculous narrative, it is oddly entertaining to the point where like, you kind of want to watch it again. Like after you watch it, you're like, what the fuck, man? Because I'd seen this movie a couple times before and it didn't change at all. I thought maybe I was missing shit in the narrative. I'm not missing anything. There's just fucking the most confusing shit there ever because it's actually not there. They're just, you know, he's not telling you certain things in the narrative. So, um, fun movie though, man, to be honest, like it's honestly one of those really, really bizarre oddities. It would be a great double feature with something like spookies because you just find yourself scratching your head the whole time you're watching, you know, three hours of this muddled bullshit. Uh, but Oddly enough, again, I enjoyed it, man. Six and a half out of ten. I actually can't wait for Vinegar Syndrome is putting out the Blu-ray uh, next October, and I, I hope there's features on it because I really want to. I just want to know more about the film because there's not really a lot of information on it and stuff. So, uh, but to, and to see what they're going to do with the transfer because I've only ever seen the VHS transfers. Actually, the transfer that I watched on this was really good, though. To be honest, it was actually really good. Um, but yeah, it's rest in pieces, man. It's, you know, classic artwork with a really fucking strange narrative, man. Really strange. So 1987. All right. Uh, and then moving on for me, my last one up, uh, I decided to rewatch digging up the marrow kind of, uh, was feeling a little Adam green lately. I was thinking about going through his filmography. What year did that come up? Um, digging up the marrow was, I want to say 2016. No, it's before that, isn't it? Isn't it like before 20, that 24? Oh, I don't know, man. Let me see. Um, it is, you're right. 2014. Yeah, Jeez, 2014. man. Time flew by. 
Um, yeah, digging up the mayor. This was his second to last film. Victor Crowley was his last one. Um, this one it was the one I wanted to revisit because um, it was probably the one of the more interesting ones, and it's the only one that I've seen one time out of all of his films. So I've seen all of his other films more than once. Uh, so I was like, oh, let me start with this one, and then I'll kind of poke around, maybe do all the hatchets in a row or something. Um, but yeah, this one, I remember following the story of when it was being made for a really long time. And, uh, when it finally came out, I had a screener of it, I believe. And I just thought it was like good. I didn't think it was like amazing or anything. I definitely felt like I was a little overhyped for it. Cause I followed it all through, like, you know, I listened to his podcast a lot and like, I followed the whole post-production stuff. Like he would talk about it on the podcast. So I was like really interested in it. Um, but it basically follows um, Adam Green playing himself, um, making a documentary about monsters, essentially, like an art gallery of, of monster depictions and stuff like that. But then he meets this guy named Decker, um, and Decker says that he knows for a fact that monsters are actually real, and he knows where they're from, like where they live and stuff like that, and he can prove it. So Adam uh, decides to actually make a documentary about this and this guy and, and see if it's a hoax or not. Um, and it turns out it probably isn't. And then the Decker character gets more and more mysterious. Um, and Adam Green uh, actually made this um, based on an e- uh, a letter that he got talking about victor crowley being a real person and he knows for a fact that the story that adam heard when he was a kid was true and it it didn't happen exactly like that it actually happened like this that and the other and adam thought it'd be really interesting to actually meet that guy who sent him that email and you know do a a movie about that but then he was like ah that could be dangerous so let's just make it pure fantasy um I really like this movie now. Like, I mean, I liked it back then too, but I I think I uh, appreciated it more like to have some distance between like the hype and following the whole story and stuff like that. I try not to get hyped on stuff or overhyped, but it just happens naturally sometimes when you follow something so long. But I really like the concept of this one. The found footage aspect, the mockumentary aspect really works well. Um, It, the the biggest problem with this film is it just barely scratches the surface of what's possible um with the whole monsters living underground and the marrow and stuff like that um i've heard this film compared to nightbreed which you just recently watched i've actually never seen nightbreed so um Hmm. i couldn't you know tell i actually own nightbreed i actually own that cool screen factory edition but i've never opened it never watched it never watched any kind of nightbreed um so yeah but uh yeah overall i thought this one was pretty fun and it it actually has like a few scary moments in it like adam green pulls off some like at least two decent jump scares uh and it's kind of cool just to see adam green playing himself too which he's pretty much done in holliston almost but um i i gave it a seven and a half out of ten pretty solid you know what's funny you what? you saying that uh, you haven't seen Nightbreed before and comparing it to Digging Up the Marrow? Well, I haven't seen Digging Up the Marrow yet. <laughs> Are you serious? You still I, never seen it? I have had the Blu-ray for like a long. I still have not watched it. Isn't that weird? 
Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, it's kind of funny actually. I, I remember well, it was I probably last week or whatever when you said that you watched it, and I actually was like, man, I should really pop that in, and just kind of forgot about it. So I don't know. Oddly enough, I end up watching Nightbreed, which is just coincidental, I guess. But yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out sometime. I don't. I don't know why it's taking me so long to check it out. It's just one of those weird things, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, moving along here, man. Uh, and you know what? I just realized I actually found the names of the Patreoners. So, Legend of the Overfiend was given to me by uh, Gino Slaber. Rest in Pieces was given to me by James Cox. So, oh, okay, cool. That makes it. And then, okay, so this one, this Patreon pick is coming from Jellybane. Uh, from 1999 and it's a film called the green elephant um oh man this movie right here i actually knew about i'd never seen it before uh i'd only ever heard kind of bad things about this movie so it wasn't really something i was really trying to seek out Um, 1999 kind of shot on video russian film so I was like, uh, you know, the shot on video intrigues me, but you know, and I, I've seen this list or this movie on, you know, um, very extreme horror film lists and shit like that. And I was like, okay, so maybe, you know, check it out and forgot all about it. What do you know? I get a fucking Patreon pick for this movie. So basically the green elephant, um, is about these two characters that are in a, they're in like a Russian military prison. And the film starts out with these two guys just kind of shooting the shit. And, you know, like I said, it's shot on video. And, it, man, it's so fucking crazy for, like, the first 20 minutes before you're like, okay, hey, where the fuck is this shit going? Um, it feels so natural and real. It's fucking creepy, man. It's like literally these two guys just talking about everything. Like, there's no real narrative to this movie at all. It's about these two guys that are in this pr- sharing this prison cell. And it's really gross. Like, I don't know if this is what Russian uh, military jail cells are like. I hope they're not because that's just not human. It's inhumane to put people into shit like this is really fucking gross. But these guys are like, don't have anything better to do than just talk to each other. And they start talking about random, um, you know, random things. And one thing leads to another and stuff. And then they start arguing and blah, blah, blah. And like 25 or 30 minutes into the film, we finally get a shot outside of the jail cell. And it's just involving, you know, these military officers and stuff like that. And, you know, we kind of get introduced to him that way. It's just like a shot of these guys talking. And it goes back to this, into this jail cell. And that's pretty much what the entire film is. Um, so, you know, I'm about a half an hour into this movie going, why? Like, what the fuck is, like, what is going, what is going to happen in this film? It's just like ridiculous. I'm, I'm just watching these two dudes talk in Russian. I'm reading subtitles about every subject from fucking A to Z. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So then they start kind of arguing and there's, there's this one kind of bigger guy in there and and this other dude that seems to have his head on straight and stuff and he's kind of listening to this guy and he's talking about how he's going to like he's talking about weird shit like shitting and stuff like that and then you know the the one skinnier dude he falls asleep up on this bed and stuff and then essentially this other guy he he just starts losing his mind i think it's what the director is trying to show like you know what these prison cells do to people and shit but this this kind of fatter guy just starts losing his mind and he's like just whips down his pants and he shits into this bowl and then he fucking like rubs this shit all over his chest and i think it's i think it's real shit too i think it really i think he actually really shit because like there's a close-up of his dick and balls and his asshole and he's fucking shitting and it does cut though but I don't know if he's rubbing the shit all over himself but anyways he rubs it like all over his chest and he's just acting all like he's losing his fucking mind like this guy's 
lost his shit inside the jail cell. Anyways, the other guy freaks out and he's like, dude, what the fuck? Like, I can't share a cell with you, blah, blah, blah. He calls over the guard. This guy comes in. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Blah, blah, blah and shit. And it's just like, it's all, it's just going on and on and on like this. I'm like, oh my God, this guy's rubbing fucking shit all over himself. I'm like, where is this going and shit? So it keeps going on and, and on and on like this for a while and stuff. And then, and then, you know, basically something happens with the other character and then and then the third act happens and then it kind of goes batshit from there. You know, some people end up getting killed, torn apart and it turns into this really kind of brutal kind of gore fest type deal and shit like that. It's just very strange and odd. And um, man, I hated this movie from the you know, basically I, I wasn't I was actually kind of enjoying it for like the first like 10 50 minutes so i'm like okay this dialogue is kind of interesting it feels super super real but then it just doesn't really change that mode i mean it does change a little bit it kind of gets unbelievable and stuff but it just it doesn't really it doesn't progress itself at all and then it just it kind of i feel like the third act just kind of goes into it for major shock value like there's like man-on-man rape and there's like lots of gore and shit and there's just like all this crazy shit that's happening but it just wasn't enough to save it from the first like hour of the movie it was just like oh my god what the fuck like when is this shit gonna end it was it was just absolutely abomination man it was really terrible to watch obviously shot on video is not gonna be the best quality it wasn't actually the worst shot on video film because again this is shot in 1999 the quality of film and tape and shit like that was a lot better than the stuff we were watching in the 80s so the shot on video films later 90s actually looked a little little bit better um but it's just like a no budget pointless fucking movie it just feels beyond pointless to me you know how like some people can watch like august underground be like oh god it's just like so pointless or like a loser valentine film like regurgitated sacrifice and be like oh so fucking pointless but at least in those films like you can you can if you dive hard enough you can find something in there metaphorical or whatever maybe find something just in your own brain and stuff but in this shit you're not finding nothing it's just everything that's happening is for the sake of um, just shock value, pure shock value. And it's just not exciting. That's the problem with it. Um, some of the gore effects actually weren't too bad and stuff. But man, oh, man, this is one of the worst movies I think I've ever seen in my life. Honestly, this is I, I, I never like to say films are just completely pointless. But at the end of the day, I'm like, if he's just trying to showcase, you know, like rough military jails and stuff, he did a good job with that otherwise i'm not pulling anything out of this and you know sometimes you don't need to pull shit out of movies and stuff for them to be entertaining but at the same time or to like them but this one you know just not entertaining at all oh man i haven't been so disgusted with a movie like even watching lucifer valentine films like those are more watchable than this because at least they're edited well like this has the most brutal bad editing in it and just it's just terrible all around there's no type of tech technical aspects in here even worth noting it's just a bad pointless film 0.5 out of 10 because we don't give zeros it's fucking terrible it's fucking awful I, i there's nothing there's literally nothing to say about it because there's nothing that happens man like it's just gross literally this guy is scraping a fucking toilet with a fork that's caked in dry shit. He's making this guy do this. And I'm like, okay. Like, why? He's already in this fucking gross jail. So why are you making him do this shit? And it just goes nowhere. Oh my God. So bad. So, so bad. So at the end of the day, I do not recommend this. Do not ever watch The Green Elephants. Because even if you like bad movies, this is beyond bad. It's not a movie. <laughs> It's not even a fucking movie. There's no narrative. It's stupid. It's bad. It's pointless. 
I'm sorry that I have to destroy your pick like that, but I mean, just being honest. Jeez. I mean, All right. it was shittier. It's shitty in more ways than one. I mean, the guy was literally rubbing shit on his chest. Yeah, it sounds horrible. And eating shit. He was eating shit. So, what the fuck is... Come on, you guys. Like, (laughs) puking and fucking... Oh, my God, you guys. With all these movies lately. (laughs) I'm just... I'm so desensitized to everything. Like, it's just... Like, I'm not even shocked by this. I'm just like, oh, when is it going to end? Fuck. Anyways. That is what we watched. Hey, yo, it's about that time for the 22 Shots crew. To get buck wild and do what we do. You got that fatty in hand, so throw us a few. And we gon' hit your ass up with a bonus review. All righty, so before we get into the featured reviews, we're gonna get into this bonus review, uh, which is also a Patreon pick, and we're assholes again, because I don't know who the fuck sent this one in. Do you have any idea? Um, <laughs> no, I don't actually. Uh, apologize once again, even though I kind of saved my grace on the what we watched, but uh, I'm not sure who sent in Antichrist. I don't think I ever even knew. Um, but yeah, so Antichrist from 2009 bonus review, directed by, of course, the one and only Lars Van Trier, mm-hmm. who is a director from Denmark. Um, you know, he's done. Lots and lots of movies. You know, he's known for Melancholia. Recently, Nymphomaniac 1 and 2, Dogville. Uh, what else has he done? The House That Jack Built. The House That Jack Built. More, yeah, that was very, very recent. Actually, that's the most recent film. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but yeah, you know, he's a very kind of either love him or you hate him type director. You know, he, he makes a lot of movies based on in a sense his almost personal aspects of you know his personal life and stuff i mean you know this movie right here antichrist i think was um considered to be the first film in his like depression trilogy Mm -hmm. all right so i think antichrist 2009 he did melancholia in 11 and of course nymphomaniac uh, 1 and 2 and uh, 13 i believe and stuff so um yeah if you're not totally familiar with Lars Van Trier you know he's a very artsy director but he also struggles with depression and stuff and Antichrist was one of those interesting films that he had literally just got out of the depression um, uh, hospital or whatever he's in there for a couple hospital mental hospital actually he was in there for a couple months and uh, he had wrote an Antichrist you know at that time and stuff and you know I I don't even think 100% I don't think he was 100% sure he was even going to do it and stuff but he decided to do the film obviously and you know, he literally just got out of there and he was still so fucked up that like he couldn't even hold the camera. So he had to get like a, a you know, DP to, you know, basically shoot the film for him and stuff. Cause I think on his other films, I think he actually does direct and, and shoot the films and stuff. And I think that's why this movie actually kind of looks a little bit different at times too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a little bit of gra- background to, you know, the whole depression angle of this film and stuff. It's very much coming from a personal aspect of his life and stuff. And, um, but, uh, a quick little synopsis. Um, a grieving couple retreat to their cabin in the woods, hoping to repair their broken hearts and troubled marriage. But nature takes its course and things go from bad to worse. Uh, this movie is starring the amazing William Defoe, uh, of course, who just 
probably should have won tons and tons of awards for the lighthouse because he actually knocked that out of the park but one thing about William Defoe I've always found super intriguing about his career is that this guy is not afraid to take chances with his films like he will do the most artsy fartsy type film you know he's done films all over the place in his career man you know like from you know the early 80s and shit to you know doing mainstream spider-man movies and shit to you know antichrist to fucking the lighthouse i love actors that have this type of range that aren't mm-hmm. actually pi- pigeonholed they're not like you know people don't they look at william defoe as like a really exuberant and wide range actor and stuff he just doesn't get pigeonholed into doing these hollywood films and stuff and i love that about him man how he can really adapt to these type of films it just shows his range and it really does show in this film he's just so great um so what is your uh what's your thoughts on antichrist first time first time watch for you yeah and i've heard a lot about it so this is the third time i've watched this movie i watched it when it came out shortly after it came out in 2009 i think it came on netflix around 2010 or something it was actually Mm. on netflix believe it or fucking not it's hard to believe this movie was actually on there but that's the first time i watched it um then i got the the blu-ray years ago which i don't even have anymore i came to this conclusion because (laughs) we actually weren't going to do this movie this week as a bonus review we're going to do something else and then i was like well let's do antichrist and then i went to go grab my blu-ray and i'm like it's fucking not here what the fuck like um i have a house sitter who's very eccentric she's an artsy it's kind of funny she's a very eccentric person she's an artist who's eccentric i mean who would have thought right and she loves to watch very arts she every time i come home from holidays i can always tell what movies she's watched sometimes she leaves them out she doesn't really put them back because she's weird like that and she knows how much it bugs me i guess my ocd but anyway she always watches like these real artsy fartsy films and she actually borrowed antichrist and never got it back from her so i'm gonna have to get that back from her hopefully she still has it but yeah i had to watch this online you know i own it so anyways the point is my third time watching this so yeah, uh, I actually own the Criterion too, so I was actually happy this came up, especially since I'm going through my collection of sealed stuff, and yeah, yeah. this was sealed. Um, yeah, I don't own a ton of Criterions, but this was like the last one that I hadn't watched in my collection. I think I still have Rosemary's Baby that I technically haven't opened either, but I've seen that film a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so uh, this film to me, one, you know, I was very interested to see because of how much I had heard about it. You know, I heard it's a very disturbing film. I heard that it's a very depressing film. See, that's Um, what I always found was so intriguing about this movie. I don't know if it's again, going back to the whole desensitization of just my reality because I've seen so much over the years and stuff. But that was the thing going into Antichrist. Everyone's like, you know, 2009, 2000, like, man, Antichrist is crazy, dude. Like it's so extreme. It's fucking nuts. It's weird. It's like, you know, it's trippy. It's psychological and all this type of stuff. And there's scenes in there that are going to just make you cringe and stuff. And I'm like, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, yeah, that's fucked up. But like, I don't think it's overly that extreme, man. There's like maybe two scenes that are like, they kind of make you go, Oh, okay. Well, uh, uh, like, yeah, I mean, I've seen stuff that's way more extreme than this by this point and stuff like that. But I'm gonna be honest. Like, it actually still got to me some of the scenes like and and just the whole um narrative of this film uh and i think it's because of how grounded in reality it feels um it doesn't feel like shocking to be shocking it doesn't feel like uh, over the top in any way to me it feels very much okay. grounded see, see when you describe it as grounded in reality it's kind of funny that you mention that too because 
th- that's actually one of the issues I've had with it. Actually, one of the issues I had with the film watching it this time, I never really noticed this before, but like, mm-hmm. you know, in a sense, because obviously there's a lot of metaphorical things that are happening in this film that are just happening in his eyes and stuff, which is kind of, kind of set in his own, it's set in reality, but it's kind of, you know, he's having these moments with nature and stuff like that, that are obviously part of his reality and stuff. But and I love all that stuff, you know, so it's not technically like grounded. I think your term of grounded reality is a little bit different um, than what I'm explaining right now. I, but I think not necessarily the narrative, but like the the violence and the. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. See, that that's what I figured that you meant. But OK, so it's just kind of funny that you brought that up because it was something I wanted to mention. But I just feel like one of my major one of my major issues with this film is actually the way it's shot. And generally, that's one thing I love about these type of artsy films. They're always shot so elegantly and they're always shot so... They're shot according to the narrative and stuff. And I feel like the way this movie is shot doesn't work for the reality that this movie is set in because it's kind of set in this, like, his alternate reality. Like, he's obviously dealing with some of this, you know, the the women and nature stuff. And But the way the movie is shot is kind of shot documentary style at times. It's kind of shot like in, you know, in a realistic type way, you know, with the zooming and the panning and stuff like that. And it feels like it's almost like a found footage film at times, which it's totally not. It's handheld. You know, it's got that quick zooming and stuff. And it has that type of thing. And I just feel like the filming technique used for this narrative, it doesn't really work for me especially mm. on, on after after watching it for a third time i think that it could have used a little bit more you know not like static shots and stuff but just not the handheld just more you know uh, just more grounded shots i guess really than using the handheld and using that that zoom technique and that quick little you know almost like you know the panning the handheld panning and stuff and i just feel like it doesn't work for this narrative as much as i you know originally thought it did maybe i just didn't really notice until this watch but i found myself focusing on that a lot and being like man you know it just it doesn't feel right to me. I feel like it's off. And then, and then I learned that Von Trier actually didn't even fucking, he, he actually didn't shoot this film. Like he, you know, he kind of directed and stuff, but he wasn't the one holding the camera. And I was like, that's really interesting. So, but see, for me, I actually like the way that it's shot. I felt like it was very intimate feeling the entire time, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, what this film is. So mm-hmm. it actually worked for me. I don't know how it would work on rewatch. Cause I didn't really I'm gonna be honest I didn't put much thought into it when I, I was watching it other than like thinking about it now I was like it felt very close I, fi- I figured this might be the case intimate. with it because I figured you know your first time watching just me seeing it for a third time it's just something I, like I said I didn't really even notice it before right it was just kind of working for me but this time around I was like wait a minute this actually is not working for this type of narrative for me I just feel like it just it felt like too I don't, I don't want to use the word found footage but just too uh, just too like almost reality like too documentary style for me it was just weird it was throwing me off this time man it was really kind of strange what man th- okay so like like some of the like some of this film is shot like awesome too like even like the the opening is shot completely different from like the other parts of the film well actually yeah it's funny that you br- it's, I'm glad that you brought that up because the prologue and the epilogue are actually shot in black and white Mm-hmm. Right, which is kind of which is a cool way, and, and another thing to add to that too. This movie is actually told in four different parts, um, yeah. Which is told in like chapter one. It's in four different chapters, yeah, and they're all there's named like grief, uh, pain, despair, a genocide, prologue. Um, yeah, grief, pain, despair, genocide, and, and the three beggars, and then it goes into three the beggars. into the epilogue and stuff. And mm-hmm. so, um, but yeah, like the opening scene to this movie is like it's very, very, very artsy. 
you know, it, uh, it, it tells. I, I actually love the opening. Yeah, me, me too, man. It instantly sucked me in because I was like, I was like, what the fuck? And then like you see like actual penetration. And I was like, whoa. I was like, what the hell? Which and I've then, always wondered if yeah. that was actually them or they just hired, if he hired two other actors to have a full penetration. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it was them that did that, you know, but I mean, you don't get to see their faces in that time, but that is penetration. That's dick and pussy. It's crazy. Yeah. And, um, I'm like, what, where the hell is this going? And then you think that it's just like sort of like a lovemaking scene that's artsy and like going to set up the film, but it actually has like a shocking moment to it. And I was like, wow, like I didn't expect that at all. It's a great setup, Uh, man, because in the, in the first like three, four minutes of this movie, it tells a lot. It, it, it showcases their relationship. Uh, it has a very, very disturbing moment with their child, unfortunately passing away. And, you know, and it goes into like, the, it's crazy how much they, he packed into like three minutes and it sets up the film like perfectly, man. It, it's really, it's really well done. And I like that. And, and you know me, you know me, man. I've mentioned this many, many times on the podcast that I'm not a huge fan of long, extended slow-mo scenes. And like mm-hmm. this is like four or five minutes of like slow-mo. Yeah. It's like slow-mo fucking. It's slow-mo baby playing by a window. It's slow-mo fucking Eric Clapton tears in heaven. You know, I'm just waiting for that shit to happen, you know? Um, mm-hmm. The listeners will get that one, especially Derek. Um, Eric Clapton lost his baby, fell out of a window, made the song called Tears in Heaven because his son died Jeez. like that. Yeah. So it's very reminiscent to what happens here and stuff. And uh, But he, I think he does a really, really fantastic job of setting up not only their relationship to where it was, to where it goes, and, you know, the grief and the depression and stuff like that in a matter of, like, four minutes. But it's black mm-hmm. and white, which is cool because they made it black and white. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I, I love that. I love the way it just, it's, it's a perfect setup, man. Really good. Uh, yeah. Um, one of those thing, you know, what's fucking weird is the most disturbing thing in this film to me is not probably what anybody else would pick, but like, it's the scene where Defoe's falls asleep with his hand out the window and it's fucking covered in ticks. <clears throat> yep. That uh, just fucking creeps me out more dude, than anything. I, I get we have a lot of ticks around here, like a yeah. lot, a lot. Like we're very high populated in ticks. I get them on me all the time, like every year, a couple of them. But you know, with Lyme's disease and just like those deer ticks, the the like the white ones that yeah. are, like when they fill up with blood, it just fucking made me cringe, dude. I didn't know ticks would do that though, man. If you just like had your hand outside for, you no, know, I don't, I don't think that's reality that like, no 20 I, I was like, are gonna hop on I, I didn't think so either but i was like man could that actually like i wasn't 100 percent sure because i'm not really too familiar with ticks like that i'm like man but if i woke up my hand was hanging outside a window and i looked at it and it had all these like white i'd fucking freak out dude, too, man that's disgusting dude that that scene like literally disturbed me like i i keep like having mental visions of it and it bothers me um but yeah there's i don't know man i there's like i I was just so damn into this movie and I'm like, wow, I was like, where's this going? Um, it gets, I, I think that the, the sexuality in this movie is just so damn raw. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's it, kind of, it, it's, I think it's important to see stuff like this sometimes because it's, it's dirty sex. It's not like this, like love, like hot, sex it's fucking gross you know what i mean like yeah like even the girl when she's like furiously like masturbating like in the fucking forest it's like yeah ugh, you know 
Yeah. Um, I think he does a really good job with um, really kind of setting up the narrative, like metaphorically wise and stuff. Like all the visions, like, I mean, essentially what happens here, William Defoe um, decides to take his wife out to their, you know, their cottage that's literally like in the middle of the forest. Like it's crazy. Like there's no. By the way, I didn't realize that was his wife until like further into the film because I had thought that somehow I thought that he was just her therapist therapist especially because he's like not wanting to have sex with her you know what i mean because like you know it, the well, way that, that that's, that's like, that's out, like a ma- that, that's a major part of the the actual this the narrative that he's trying to tell right um but it yeah it, it is but i eventually figured it out yeah it is interesting you know it's it's i like this idea you know it sets it up with this kind of very dramatic opening scene with them losing their child and stuff and then she's obviously dealing with it very very roughly i mean he is too right but she's really kind of fallen into this really kind of deep depression and like and he wants to get her out of it right so mm-hmm. i'm not even 100 percent sure exactly what his occupation really is but he kind of plays no, he's the, a he's a therapist is he actually a therapist in it yeah yeah he takes on her yeah that's um, right he is too okay. after it's not working that's right that's right and uh i don't know why it just completely slipped my mind that he actually was but yeah so he takes her out there and he wants to essentially try a whole pile of different techniques and stuff and try to get her out of this this you know the slump that she's in and stuff i mean when you're dealing with grief and, and death like that, it's everyone gets over it in different ways, right? And stuff. And you know, it's kind of interesting because he's dealing with it too, but you know, he's also dealing with a lot of different things, also within you know the sexual, um, the sexual aspect of his relationship with her, right? It's it's kind of weird when like therapists are trying to you know help somebody out with one thing, but they're dealing with something themselves. I really like that contrast in the film because Mm -hmm. it really does make a really interesting case for um, just the human psyche, man. Like it's, it's so it's hard to deal with things when you're going through such shit yourself too. Um, But I love that, man. I love the way Von Trier really uses the visuals in this film because, you know, everything seems to be going okay. You know, he's dealing with his wife and, you know, she's going through steps of grief, right? I mean, this is very typical in people where, they'll start to like kind of progress with uh, you know, with their depression and stuff. And then they'll have like a total, they'll just digress hardcore and then they'll start blaming you for everything. And that's, that's really how the human mind works, right? You know, you have these, these periods of like anger where you just want to, like there's a scene in the film where she basically starts to blame him for everything. Like the reason why all this shit happened and stuff. And I like that he showed that because that's real, that's reality people do that even though she knows that he wasn't responsible for their son's death she still blames him kind of thing right it's just the way the grief process works i really enjoy that but there's this you know really great scene where you know he's out in the he's out in the forest which is kind of cool man because there's like no road entry into this they actually had to hike into this and i love that because they're like right in the middle of into the forest so like in nature's womb essentially as i think is what he's trying to say and he just starts seeing like all this crazy shit. Like he sees this fucking deer kind of standing there and then the deer runs away and it's got like this fetus hanging out her. And you're just like, what the fuck, man? It's crazy. And then there's, there's multiple scenes like that shit. Actually, the one scene in this film that kind of fucks me up, man, is when the baby bird falls out of the, uh, (laughs) falls out of the nest and it lands in the red ant pile. And then, because it's a complete freaking metaphor for their baby. It's, 
exactly but it but it's what's disturbing about the scene is that the the baby bird opens up his eyes and then this fucking bird like comes and just starts ripping it apart you're like jesus christ man like those visuals are just so fucking powerful because it just keeps replaying the metaphor over and over again right it's just like holy fuck man but you know it's dealing with you know lots of things in that aspects man i mean i think what he's trying to say is actually quite quite strong i mean dealing with um you know primal nature and you know female sexuality is just so prevalent in this film right the whole primal nature thing is really interesting um i think it's pretty obvious what's going on here you know and he's dealing with the sex the female sexuality and stuff because he wants to be overpowering i mean there's a point in the film where he even says that he like he wants to harm her you know and he's using this as as a way not to be where i know the this film has been very much projected as being a very uh misogynistic type film right you know because there are scenes in there where he's like you know he wants to hurt her and things like that and stuff and i think it's complete bullshit i don't think the film is misogynistic at all i mean in a sense because he's really dealing with uh the female sexuality and you know that the human nature of the of that aspect in a different way and i, I don't think that's what von Cheers was trying to say at all i don't think he was trying to create a um, you know that type of misogyny in, in the male character at all but um I don't know, man. I don't know. How do you see that? Because I honestly don't believe that's what he was trying to say. I know this movie was very heavily criticized for that. And I'm like, I don't see that at all. No, I, no, I definitely don't. Um, I never really buy into that stuff, honestly. I mean, all but, because um, he was saying those things. But I mean, he was also using it as techniques to, you know, I mean, it's it's funny how what certain techniques work when you're dealing with someone's grief and stuff and, and depression, things that will actually work him and get him out of that funk, you know, and stuff. And I think the things that he was saying, like, oh, I want to hurt you and things like that. It's it's just all a way of, you know, trying to power through it and stuff. And I don't think it's being misogynistic at all. I, I think that's complete bullshit. I hate when films kind of turn to that. There's been so many films over the years that have used that term. And I'm like, I don't fucking see it, man. I really don't see it yeah. in the film. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um but yeah, I mean, uh, I think that this film overall is is very enjoyable. I didn't quite get. I know there's a lot of stuff that I didn't get because I was doing a little bit of research, like reading what people's interpretations were, and I was like, oh, okay, I see that. Very interesting stuff, but I can't say that I put it all together myself. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's definitely a point to most of the stuff in the film, and it it all seems to um, be very metaphorical. Um, with everything pretty much um but man i'll tell you what dude like <laughs> that um scissor scene was like very uh, very graphic and I, I didn't expect that i was like holy crap it looks so real you know uh, i i still i'm ha- I, i've still had a hard time figuring out exactly why she does that to herself too i mean considering you know what i think he's trying to do like he's dealing with you know our main character here is fears of like primal nature and stuff like that i mean that's obviously prevalent there and the obvious you know the he's not really in tune with the female sexuality and stuff but why would she fucking mutilate herself is it i've never really been able to figure out that part i understand the other aspects of the of the sexuality shown on screen and stuff um but why do you think that she does it um, I think I read why, but I totally forget what it was. I've never actually looked into it. I just, it's always something that's been like, there's obviously a, a deeper meaning there. Um, I don't know. 
I'm sure Watson can figure that out, but I've always wondered why. Because, I mean, it's just self-mutilation. I mean, maybe it's a byproduct of her depression. I have no idea. It's just it's just one of those things I think you can probably interpret a lot of different ways, too. Yeah. All right. Um, well, let's get into ratings on this one. I try to stay a little bit spoiler-free since I think it is a film that people should check out. Um, I pers- I'll go first. Uh, I-, I like this film a lot. I think that there's a lot to offer here. Um, I think that it actually did shock me in, in a few ways. It's just even some of the like, like even that like stone whale thing with the the bolt on it was just disturbing to me. It was like very I, that visceral sounded, feeling. That part always bugs me in this film because he, I feel like he wastes more energy dragging himself out of there with that thing fucking bolted to his shin than it would be to just try and remove it and then get away that way. <laughs> like. I mean, eventually he tries to remove it and, and does kind of thing, but like, why doesn't he fucking just try to remove that shit? I know I well, understand. I th- like, I think he does try to. He just doesn't have a wrench or anything. He tries to do it with his hands. But no, I feel like no, I feel like he just like once he wakes up, he's just like, oh fuck him, and then he realizes he's in trouble because you know she's probably up to kill him, kind of thing. But you know, like he doesn't really tempt. He just like I need to get the fuck out of here, kind of. Maybe that's what the point is. He's just you know he's scared of her, you know, and stuff, but. I don't know, man. Me personally, I'd be like, I need to get the shit off first because I'm probably not going to go too far with this fucking huge fucking cast iron wheel <laughs> through my shin. Like what the fuck, man? I don't know. That shit would be painful as fuck. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I came in at a nine out of 10. Uh, yeah, man, this is a really good film. Uh, you know, after watching it three times, there's still obviously questions that are, there um but it's still really good man i I think my biggest complaints is just the cinematography at times kind of grits on me i just feel like it doesn't fit the narrative as well as it could be done i guess i don't know it's just something that i'm not trying to nitpick with it's just something that i actually noticed and kind of was bugging me throughout this but um, i think there's a lot of heavy um metaphors and a lot of heavy content here that really needs to be seen by people i think it's a really interesting film and william defoe just knocks us out the park actually the the girl that stars in this film too i'm not sure exactly what her name is i can't remember uh what is it charlotte gainsborough um i think she's french i believe that she's french no she's from england holy fuck she's actually english jesus i thought she was french playing in english i don't know (laughs) i just she just looks french to me i guess uh, but she, you know, basically two characters in this film and, you know, they knock it right out the park, but the visuals are awesome. The effects are awesome in it. And, uh, it's definitely worthy of that, that nine out of 10. That's what I'm in at also. So awesome. Yeah. Good film. And now, our feature presentation.
Alrighty, so moving on to the featured reviews here on episode 176. Uh, was the first one of these was just the Patreon pick, right? We turned this into... Yeah, uh, Black Devil Doll from Hell was a Patreon pick. Okay, so that's the first film up here. Directed by Chester Novell Turner. Of course, from 1984, shot on video. <laughs> uh, semi-classic. This is very well known for a bunch of different reasons, um, which is Black Devil Doll from Hell. Uh, it was a very, very rare VHS. Um, not as rare, I guess, as his second film and, and last film that he did, Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. Um, but uh, Chester Novell Turner was... It's kind of like an interesting story because, like, there's not really a whole lot known about him. It's very strange because, like, he did this movie, Black Devil Doll from Hell in 1984, shot on video. Then he came back with a film in 87, like an anthology film called Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. And then, like, literally disappeared. Like, I remember reading stuff on this guy years ago and, and people were on forums were like, what the fuck ever happened to this guy? Like, no one had any information on him. Like, he, like, he literally just, like, fell off the face of the earth. And then there was, like, like this fake report that came out in, like, 1996 saying that Chester Novell Turner had died in a car accident. And so that was kind of what it was. Like, he died, and then he, like, showed up later, like, in the 2000s somewhere, and he'd be like, motherfuckers, I ain't dead. <laughs> right? This is kind of fucking strange. Like, I don't know if that added to why his films were going for so much on the, on the you know, the third-party market and stuff, but his VHS tapes were very, very well-known. Tales from the Quad did own being that tape at one point had sold for $666. There's only, like, four or five known in existence. It's like this, kind of this crazy nostalgia fucking the whole mystique around you know these films and shit but um black devil doll from hell uh from 1904 shot on video synopsis a woman buys a doll at a black magic at a oh at a magic shop fuck unbeknownst to her the doll is possessed by an evil spirit and proceeds to take her over <laughs> okay so black devil doll from hell man is like you're it's like a stereo fucking typical just awful awful shot on video film that is just immense in padding <laughs> i know even the distributor that wanted to put this movie out even made them pad the fucking opening credits and it's something i've noticed forever and i remember reading in the i was reading this last night when i was watching this film just in some of the facts on the film and it said it's i think it was like one of the first things is that they actually padded they came up with the music for the film just to pad the credits just to add more time to this and i'm like pad this fucking thing this fucking movie is dubbed as being 70 minutes on here but the dvd is like 87 minutes i'm like you had to pad this with a shitty ass casio fucking keyboard track that literally i think is not even made on there either i think it's one of the pre-programmed beats that's in there too <laughs> it's like so fucking funny but that's what i always remember from watching these uh Chester Novell Turner films is like he obviously used the same Casio keyboard to make the the you know the music for these films because it's literally like the same sounds it's so bad and so repetitive it's just ridiculous but um I think he had a pretty good idea here having like a possessed doll that uh kind of starts slowly taking over this very religious black woman um this movie is actually noted as being one of the very last black exploitation films from that whole black exploitation type craze and stuff which I'm not entirely sure if that's true. If it's if it's it's actually known as being the last one from the, that era. I know they came later and stuff too, but probably is. I mean, '84 seemed pretty late for black exploitation films and stuff. But uh, it's funny because our main character here is you know this church going girl, and she just 
walks into the shop one day and buys this doll and we get this like ridiculous backstory from the shop owner that says tells her the whole story about this doll how you know this doll has like you know it's it's probably it's probably evil and possessed and things like that and because everyone that's bought this thing uh it's somehow found its way back to the shop every each and every single time and stuff she's like ah whatever you know thinks twice about it and then ultimately takes it home (laughs) this thing basically comes alive fucking attacks her and then just starts essentially sexing her up and stuff it's like the most ridiculous storyline but oh man talk about fucking just watching 87 minutes of padding it's ridiculous. I don't know how the fuck you can make a movie called Black Devil Doll from Hell and have, like, no damn kills in the fucking movie. There's literally no kills in this movie, man. It's it's ridiculous. The movie is essentially like a softcore porno. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like, once this doll attacks her and... Well, at first, she starts having, like, these visions because the doll is kind of possessing her to be very sexual and stuff. And then he ultimately attacks her. She has sex with this doll. And... The doll ends up leaving her. But what happens is it kind of changed her perspective on sex. And now she can't be pleased by anybody else but this doll. So she kind of goes out of her way and, like, she, you know, needs to, or she sets out to find this doll and shit. But that would have, wouldn't that have been the perfect opportunity to essentially have her kind of go crazy and start killing people instead of going to, like, a disco and just dancing and shit and, like, being displeased by all these other suitors that are trying to sex her up and shit? Like, where the fuck are the kills in this movie, man? It's a fucking softcore porn with a fucking black doll. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, man. So, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, which version did you watch? The the DVD version, like the 87-minute version. 87 minutes. That would be an hour and... 27 20, minutes. 27, okay. Well... Maybe you should have watched the an hour and ten minute version if you're because that's less padding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know there is those different versions, but like, I, like I said, I have the DVD, like I have the 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 box set from Masker Video and stuff. So that's what they mm-hmm. put. They put the extended cut on there, which is there's so much more padding. It's the I don't remember. I've seen the short version before, but do they have the long like six seven minute opening credit scene with the with the music and shit? I didn't watch the shorter version. Oh, you watched? I'm I'm just saying. I'm just saying that. Yeah, you know, maybe because I'm pretty sure padding. I'm pretty sure if I if my memory serves me correctly, which it doesn't very often, but uh, I think the scene like where after the doll that she after the doll leaves her and stuff, I think the scene where she's at the club, I don't think that's in the shorter version, man. I swear that's not in the in the shorter version, but it doesn't really um, matter. We watch the longer version anyways, but so much fucking padding. But like, I don't know how this dude, thing could be done you know as a horror film. Weird, man. There's no fucking kills in it, man. Literally, no you fucking know, kills. Yeah, but. Uh, you don't need kills for it for it to be considered horror. Um, but there's opportunities, I actually man. really like this movie. I'm not gonna lie. No, uh, no, I no. really didn't realize that there wasn't any kills or that it was padded. Um, I've never seen this before, so that that helps for one. But like, for example, um, you know, the when she goes and gets the doll and then brings it back, she's religious and you know ve- very uh, you know reserved and abstains from sex and stuff like that. And she brings the doll into the bathroom or whatever, and then uh, she strips down, and the camera's at her feet. And I, like, in my head, I'm like, oh, of course they're not going to show this older black lady naked. Like, I didn't expect them to, um, especially when they shoot it. You know how they, you know, shoot the 
when you're not going to do a nude scene in the bathroom where you like leave the camera down at their feet and their clothes fall down. That's how you don't shoot a nude scene in the bathroom. You know, like usually you could tell if it's going to be a nude scene in the bathroom because of, you know, if the camera is at the feet or not. And so then like when the doll's like looking at her while she's in the shower, I literally like did not expect for all of a sudden the shower curtain to be pulled open and her to be soaping up her boobs and stuff and i'm like what the fuck like i didn't expect this at all and then the doll's like watching i'm like what kind of movie is this and then you know it got crazier and crazier and i was like dude this is the sleaziest damn shot on video movie i ever seen i like this it's a doll sex movie like i did not know that i thought it was gonna be like a zuni fetish doll like knockoff shitty shot on video <laughs> yeah, dude it's a fucking it's basically a softcore porn with a fucking possessed doll it's essentially what it is man but it's, it's always comes off as being a, dubbed as a horror film but like like i always said though man there's great opportunities because once the doll leaves her she should go on a rampage it would have been great to have her go on a rampage and fucking kill some people that's what i was always missing well i mean the movie. doll like, rapes her that's like pretty horrific yeah i know but i mean just having you know the given the it just it's like a great opportunity though man like she needs that doll and like she will do anything to get that doll back because the doll is the only thing that can please her hey let's start shopping up motherfuckers at the disco and shit i don't know but yeah no you're right though it is uh it's very very sleazy it's funny to watch because you know you know the funny thing is though dude i don't think uh shirley l jones the girl that plays the um the lead in this film i don't think she's that old though man i think she just looks old I honestly don't think that she's that yeah, old. Yeah, I think man. they they make her seem like older. Yeah, um, yeah but I think it, she is young. Because when you see her in Tales from the Quad Dead Zone, which she's like the storyteller, she's the mom in the film. And um, she's also stars in the last uh, short and stuff. She's like obviously not that old, right? Yeah, <laughs> but she's playing older. Yeah. I, and the director actually started dating her. Oh, really? Yeah, did you not read that? Yeah, she he, he started dating her after this film. That's funny. Well, he's because he got her naked. And he's like, oh, I can fuck with that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no i mean yeah it's a pretty basic i mean dude honestly like the, the, I, I don't know if you know this but this was originally a going to be a short in an anthology uh yes yes yeah yeah so um then the dude realized he filmed like a lot of footage and was like hey i can make a feature out of this um dude i, I don't know like it's it's I would never want to watch that. Like, there's no need to watch this again for me, really. But, like, for the experience, I was like, wow, that was something. I, I didn't expect that. And then it gets that whole, like, incest angle at the end. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, right. <laughs> but Yeah, uh, it's, it's fun, man. I, I like the one thing, you know, like, how the, the dummies corn rolls are, you know, basically attributed to Rick James. I'm like, that's fucking hilarious, man, because he's the super freak, right? He's fucking Mary yeah. Jane. I thought that was just so brilliant because, like, the sex fiend and that, you know, he was known as that and shit. I mean, like, fuck, the, the, the devil doll actually was Rick James. <laughs> fucking hilarious, man. And and, so and you mentioned the, the Casio keyboard or whatever. Yeah. I don't know much about any of that, that but that's funny because I was like, watching it i was like wow this music's actually pretty good like i wonder how he did this i didn't expect there to be like a music uh, a music budget on this 
but apparently it's just a, a pre-recorded track. I'm like, no wonder it sounds half decent. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm thinking it is, man. I mean, you can obviously you could obviously make your own type of synth beats and stuff on those things, but those tracks mm. that are playing sound like the pre-programmed ones in there. Maybe they might have thrown in a couple like D minors and stuff like that. I don't know, but just to kind of like horror it up a little bit. Uh, I think that what they do in Tales from the Quad Dead Zone a little bit too. The music does yeah. change a little bit in that. It gets a little bit more horror sounding, but you can tell those sounds like that you know the hi-hats like just those sounds are fucking straight casio keyboards because i remember having a casio keyboard when i was a kid and like those sounds you just never forget you just know where they come from it's like i like them damn it anybody that knows and like plays music or it's fucked around with those stuff you know the difference between keyboards they just have certain sounds like if you had a rolling keyboard like you can just tell some of the sounds that are on those things it's really strange but yeah those are casios and it's just it's very prevalent in shot on video films you know like there's lots of fucking shot on video films that have used like dumb beats on casios because let's face it they don't have any money and casio keyboards are super cheap right so um you know black devil doll from hell is so fucking fun i just when he jumps out and fucking like you know basically jumps her and then rapes her and shit and then starts calling her a bitch and just totally being a fucking <laughs> badass is so fucking funny dude if you think this shit is funny, man, you have to see Black Devil Doll, the remake that came out, I think, in 2011 or 12. Yeah, it was like 11. I Oh, my. I should have rewatched it to refresh my memory, but it is so fucking funny, dude. It's I think the storyline is essentially the same, but it's a white chick. It's a white girl that fucking oh, buys God. this black doll. And that the black doll. more comedy The black it. doll. It's so funny, dude. The black doll is so racist in the movie. It's just like cracker this and crack. It's fucking it's the most racist movie ever made it's so funny it's absolutely hilarious but you know i mean you got to kind of do that with that i guess spruce it up a little bit but, but yeah man. Yeah, but there's not much else to this movie i mean no it's, it's there's it's, literally like four scenes of note yeah 87 minutes and like just a lot of patty man there's a lot of extended scenes and shit. it's just really bad acting and stuff but if you're a fan of shot on video films and i mean i think everybody that's into the genre stuff should probably check out this film at least once because it just it has that kind of strange history to it you know with the with the expensive vhs tapes and the name and just just this kind of weird history to it man you just you kind of need to check it out right you just need to check it out so um, it's definitely not gonna be for everybody. I mean, even people of fans of you know shot on video films and stuff. Even if, if you ever look up top ten shot on video films, you know favorites or best of list and stuff, you never see a song. There. <laughs> oh yeah, on, it's never on there. But uh, I don't know, man. I recommend it, even though it's just it's terrible. It What's really your is. rating? It's really bad. But uh, I'm gonna come in at about a four out of ten, even though. <laughs> You know, it's it, it's shot on video, man. It's it's not one. Of, it's it's personally not one of my favorites, to be honest. It's entertaining for what it is. Uh, I think I've maybe I've just seen it too many times. I've seen it like four or five times now, so it, it gets a little bit um, elongated for me. But, Call me crazy, but I came in at a six. What the fuck? No fucking way. That's ridiculous. I swear. Yeah, I don't know. I, I bet you that I just, six is going to turn into a three or four after. If you watch factor, I was like, wow, this is fucking crazy, man. I didn't expect any of this. I guess if you go into it, not really knowing anything about it, but I mean, honestly, dude, come tell me what your rating is after three or four watches. Okay. (laughs) I tell you one thing, it doesn't get better. (laughs) And I, and the other thing I will say the Casio fucking, uh, it, it gets, it gets a little bit bad after multiple watches. I was actually getting annoyed even last year watching. I was like, Oh my God. So apparently there actually is, 
another version. I'm not sure who put it out, but it's basically the the full length film, the 87 mer- ver- minute version of it. But it's got a heavy metal soundtrack to it. Jesus. <laughs> so I'm like, I would love to watch it with that. Even though I hate, like, I love love metal music, but I hated it movies for some reason. In these type of movies, it drives me nuts. But I'd like to see how much it changes to watch it with that. I don't think it, think it'd be kind of funny, but I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's um, Black Devil Doll from Hell. All right, so moving into uh, the year 1987 with Chester Novell's Turner's uh, second and last feature called Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. We briefly talked about its uh, its history in the VHS world. Um, but uh, let's get into a quick little synopsis of this. Oh, my God, what am I going to read here? It's an anthology film. Do we really need to say any more? <laughs> <laughs> it's an anthology film. Basically... Uh, you know, the same girl that actually stars in the last film, uh, Shirley L. Jones, stars in this one. And it kind of has, it has like a wraparound story, but then turns into like the third story. She's basically uh, this mother who has a dead son and she decides that she's going to read some stories out of this huge horror storybook called Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. Literally, there's actually special effects in this. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, first story uh being uh, what the fuck is it called i think it's food for thought i think it's what it's called and um it's basically about this family that has too many family members and not enough food and somebody takes matters into their own hands at the at the dinner table yeah um i don't really know what he was thinking with this because i feel like this one just doesn't even really end properly it doesn't even begin properly. Isn't it fucking weird? Like this has got to be the weirdest short to a, uh, in an anthology film. I mean, okay. So let's start by saying this tales from the quad dead zone only runs about an hour. It's about one hour long. The first story here, food for thought is roughly 10, 12 minutes. It's the shortest one, which is probably a good thing, but I think they could have probably done a little bit more with this. It's basically, and it's odd too. It's actually kind of shocking to me. The very first time I watched Tales from the quad dead zone, I was shocked by this because so the first story starts and it's about a white family. I was like, there's fucking white people in this movie. I just was not expecting that. I don't know if you were shocked by that, but you know, considering mm-hmm. he does black exploitation type things and you know, he's, uh, um, I'm assuming I, which I don't even know. I actually am assuming he's black. The director never seen a picture of him before. Um, I one hunt like, I never even considered him not being black. <laughs> I know. Like, I just, yeah, I always assumed he was, but man, even saying this in a public forum, I'm like, shit, dude, I never actually, I never, I don't even actually know. I mean, what's it's, his name? Cause it's not like what Chester Novell Turner. I mean, that's very, that sounds very black to be honest, but <laughs> I never, I ne- but I've, you know, it's not that uncommon that white directors would make black exploitation films. I mean, it's been done before. Yeah. Right. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, he's got to be black, I guess. But I don't know. Anyways, the first story actually is about this white, fa- this white poor family that, uh, and the whole story takes place around this dinner table. And it's, they have like eight or 10 family members. And, you know, the father is saying, 
grace and he's like thank you god for this food we have like 10 people we only have food for like four people (laughs) it's literally what they're saying and stuff and then as soon as he says like amen it's like a free-for-all it's literally a fucking free-for-all for the food so if you get in there fast enough and you get something to eat you eat it and while the other people that don't get food watch you and and fucking despise you kind of thing that's like the whole thing. This one dude just kind of gets pissed off and he goes fucking all Columbine on his family and shit. It's ridiculous. That's it. Shoots a yeah, couple people and then just kicked them out. Yeah. Like, like he sh- Hey, you can't eat no food. But th- that's the weird thing about the, f- the, the short is that he shoots people. And then there's like another dinner and then he shoots more people. And then all of a sudden it kind of goes in and explains like this one girl's dead. And she's like died on July 16th or something like that of gunshot wound to the head and stuff. And then it shows another one. It does that a couple times over. And, and then, and then he died on this date in the gas chamber. <laughs> That's it. Dude, this short is fucking horrible. There's it is, no, it's literally fans or butts about it. It's horrible. There's no fucking narrative. It's like that whole, like dead, I know July it's July 16th is fucking stupid too. I'm just this, like this what might the even fuck? be this might even be one of the worst shorts in an anthology, if not the worst short ever made. It's not even the fact that it's shot on video. That's besides the point. It's that the fact that JP just said there's no narrative at all. It doesn't even really start, doesn't really end. It's poorly I don't know what the fuck they were thinking with this short. It's just crazy. So that's the first story. Food for thought. The second story is called The Brothers. And this one is probably the most horror thing he's even done, really. I mean, this one seemed to definitely Dude, fuck have the- off. Black Devil Doll from Hell is scary. Oh my god, it's not scary. It's scary. No, this one actually had decent horror elements to it. It's basically about these. This it's called the brothers for a reason. So there's this brother that has just died of you know a heart attack and stuff, and. Um, the other brother who's been very jealous of him his whole life, he's kind of hated his brother because of certain reasons and stuff, calls up his homies um, to break into this funeral home and steal the body. And that's what they do. They they meet up at this place. They break in. They steal his brother's body. They get back to his place. And the guys are like, like, what? Like, I don't know why they didn't have this conversation with be- with him before they broke in, but they all of a sudden have the question, the conversation after the fact. They've already brought this body back to this brother's house, and after like them drinking and can, you know celebrating that they stole this dead body, one of the brothers is like, "Yo, like, what are you gonna do with this body, man?" <laughs> right? Like, wouldn't you ask that question before the fact? But anyways, he's like, "Yo, man," he's like, "I'm gonna get fucking revenge." And they're like, oh, motherfucker, you sick. And then, of course, they storm out of there like he's like, yeah, the sick you're as fucking sick bird. after we just stole. Yeah, the you dead just body. stole a fucking corpse and you're calling this guy sick because he he just said the word revenge. And oh, my God, some of the shit that happened. What? Sure. I mean, is there any other like like what would have been an appropriate thing to do with the stolen dead body? <laughs> Yeah, right? Like, I, I don't know, man. Um, I guess, right? But just that's the lengths that he goes. Okay, so basically these guys leave. And then for the next 20 fucking minutes at least, because this short is around 35, 40. It's the majority of the running time in this film, to be honest. Um, for the next 20 minutes, we get to hear this guy all by himself curse his brother out for 20 fucking minutes about how shitty he was about 
uh, breaking up his marriage and shit like that. And he just goes on and on and on. And he decides to dress him up like a clown. And he's going to bury him in this sacrilegious place because his brother was had his hopes on being buried in this uh, in this very prestigious grave, blah, 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 and stuff. And he's going to do all this shit and stuff. And then I don't know what the fuck happens, but I guess cursing out somebody for 20 ass minutes, you know, saying, you know, call him every bad name in the book and stuff, apparently reanimates them. Well, it is a curse after all. <laughs> it is a curse, but it just happens after so long and then he gets, yeah, so there's this family curse and stuff, but he gets reanimated and then shit goes down from there. It's it's just fucking hilarious how it happens. Like this stupid ass shadow kind of comes into the screen. He gets reanimated and it's like, rah, it's on. <laughs> it's but at least it has horror elements though, right? You know? Yeah, this one sucks too. <laughs> it's, it's very, this is a very agitating short because of the cursing out for 20 minutes and just telling the story over and over again but the thing that actually gets me the most about this isn't the fact that he's just cursing him out it's the fact that he's laughing for 20 minutes <laughs> i'm gonna bury you in this hole <laughs> i'm gonna get you brother <laughs> you look like a clown motherfucker <laughs> no shit that goes on for 20 minutes <laughs> can only fucking handle so much of that shit i probably just annoyed everybody in the shit off the podcast but try that for 20 fucking minutes man it's so bad it is so bad and irritating and terrible it's awful then we move to the Uh third story which is called unseen vision um basically it's about shirley l jones uh, the the mother beginning of the film who's reading these stories to her or to her dead son who yeah and her husband shows up at the house he gets all pissed off because she's reading you know these tales from the quad dead book to her to their son and stuff and he takes the book and fucking starts beating on her and shit um of course she doesn't really like that too much why why was he upset i don't know because maybe i don't know (laughs) apparently reading horror stories to a dead kid is not a good idea i don't know why he was so pissed off maybe he's just pissed off at her in general i don't know but, you know, he starts to beat on her and shit goes the other way against him and stuff. And yeah, um, I don't know. It's, it sucks, too. It, it's just really, really not great. It, there's this really, really weird parts in this one, too, with the son. When she ta- the son would like make really strange sounds like when he was trying to talk. I guess that's the ghost sound of, of voice, I guess. It was just like... <laughs> the ghost sound of voice. But... But every time he would make the ghost sound of voice, um, <laughs> that makes no sense. But anyways, the ghost sound of voice. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, every time he would talk in this like ghostly voice or whatever the fuck it is, and her hair would like blow up on her head. It was like fucking bizarre. It's like he was just talking with this roaring voice. I don't know what the hell was going on with that shit, but this one is really, really bad overall and shit like that. I mean, there's a little bit of blood and stuff and there's actually, there's some decent acting. Actually, one of the cops actually isn't too bad in this cops end up showing up at this place. Cause he calls the cops and stuff. And it's just like, okay. But then of course they had to pad that short with some time. They go back to this like ridiculous flashback scene with their son and stuff. I'm like, Oh my God. Tales from the quad dead zone, man is, is, um, known for being very rare but I think there was a very good reason to why it was super rare. It's, yeah, dude. Even for shot on video, it is horrible. It's like, 
you just can't, it's an hour running time. And you just can't wait for the shit to end, man. And even though the music is better in this than Black Devil Doll because it actually changes keys and they actually use different <laughs> pieces of music in this, that's about it, man. That is really, really about it, man. I, I've watched, dude, this fucking movie drags and it's only like an hour long. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like, it's fucked up, man. I don't like to pad a scene of a dude just cursing out his brother for twenty minutes. This is fucking so fucking bad, man. <sighs> Ho, 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 ho. Shut up! <laughs> Shut the fuck up! Oh man, it's bad. It's just really, really bad. Like, I mean, it's you know, it's watchable, but it's just I don't know how you get any enjoyment out of Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. It's really bad, but yeah, that's it, man. There's really nothing else to it, man. Like the wraparound story turns into the third story, and that's it. It's over. Sixty-two minutes of your life wasted. In my case, that's three hours and six minutes now because I think I've watched this movie like three times. At least it was like a bonus feature on your disc, right? Isn't it like uh, the bonus movie for Black Devil Doll? No, no, it's a separate disc. It comes in. A, you, it comes in. That box set is two. Oh, separate this was discs. actually marketed as a double release and not like just. Yeah. I thought it was like Black Devil Doll and get the director's other film that he no. did as a bonus. No, no, they're, they're separate discs with the original artworks and stuff and. Yep, that is horrendous. But you know, at the when when I got the set when it first came out, man, I think the set was only like twenty bucks. Like even for Masker Video, that was super cheap. Like, but it goes for ridiculous money now. Super out of print. Yeah, you know what's funny? Uh, How sick I am. I actually wish that I owned this. Yeah, well, it's 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 kind of an interesting thing to own because it's like it's shot on video history, and honestly, right, exactly, it's history. Black Devil Doll from Hell is is a very early shot on video film. I mean, you know, Sledgehammer and a couple other Boarding House are known as like the first couple, but this one is right around that time, 1984. It's very very early, so it's part of that beginning and shit. So, I mean, really, you can't expect it to be great and stuff, but I mean. I would not rec. I, I mean, I would recommend people check Dude, these out. You should check out like the commentary on there. Didn't they get the director for the commentary? Uh, I think there's a commentary. I can't remember. I've never. I should actually do that sometime. I should actually if there's commentaries that, on there. That that's interesting to me to hear what the fuck this guy has to say about. You know, this I didn't. Shit. I didn't even think about that when I popped these in to even look that there was a comment. I should. I should have just watched the movies with the commentary because I've seen them. I you know couple times yeah, you don't really like need it yeah you don't really need you know there's just the audio one to you know understand what's going. i mean he's going to tell you what everything is going on anyways but yeah that would have been a good idea actually that would have been a better way to watch these actually <laughs> get some insight and and some uh, factoids on on this shit so i don't know if there's any on tales from the quad dead zone but uh yeah man i mean all right uh so uh yeah tales from the quad dead zone the first segment um actually probably my favorite segment just because of how short and simple it was um but it still sucks and then the second segment also sucks the clown the the like transformation is kind of funny because of how like shitty the effect is and how it's just like you know the uh, like an overlay type thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then the third segment was just dumb and fucking meandering pointlessness as well um, I, I don't have like anything l- good to say about this movie other than it's watchable. So I gave it a one out of 10, man. Shirley L. Jones, the one that starred in both films, she actually did the artwork for Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. That's always one thing I've loved about this. It just feels like that homegrown kind of, you know, just straight up like gutter artwork that just really works. 
I love that shit, man. Just kind of designs. You know, it's like she just did it one day. She's like, you know, let's use this kind of drawing and stuff. It's like it's like Schooly D's first couple of records, man. With the he drew those album covers, you know, kind of thing. It's awesome. I love that shit, man. So yeah, there was a sequel planned to this. It it even says at the end of Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. Um, mm-hmm. part two coming or whatever the fuck it is, but it never materialized. I would, I would actually like to know why that never materialized. Maybe because the nineties hit and are like, maybe shot on video films aren't cool anymore. That's not really that true, but, um, the book was a Bible with a new cover put on. <laughs> they just made that cover. It was a, actually a Bible. That's fucking hilarious, man. Um, I read that he spent like $10,000 on fucking black devil doll. I think, I think it was eight thousand. I think he somehow okay. cost eight thousand to make that. I've read that somewhere too. But then I was wondering, like, how? On the, I guess the fucking. Oh, it says that he paid the actor. Oh yeah, you know that's the other thing I actually knew about this. They paid all the actors for in Tales from the Quad Dead Zone and on Black Devil Doll too. So they paid everybody, and he said he never made a dollar for me, but everyone else made money. Well, he <laughs> said he said he made six dollars per VHS sold to, um, like the Hollywood video or something, but he said he never figured out how many they sold. So they probably just gave him like six bucks. <laughs> That's fucking just a standard one time fee of $6, man. <laughs> oh my God. Ketchup was used for the blood in, in the segment food for thought. That makes sense. You know I mean? That's like, as like that costs money. That's like what a what a ten year old thinks to do when or, they're making their shot on video movie in the backyard. You know, man, if I was making a shot on video film back Dude, in the day, it's corn syrup and food coloring. Yeah, it's I mean, not that hard to it, make fucking blood. But then again, when you're shooting shit on video, it does. You could use ketchup because you can't tell because the video is so bad, right? But you don't really have to pay for that. Just go to McDonald's and ask for ketchup. They probably give you packets of ketchup, man, and blow that shit up. Yeah. Um, Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. I'm gonna come in at a two out of ten. The music's a little bit better. It's. Uh, it's just it's a fucking train wreck though it really is like there's just nothing that great about this at all um but the one cop that reads off the miranda rights i actually thought was pretty decent and even though he's reading them off a car but i think that's actually what you do and stuff but he was okay at points even though he's in the film for like 35 seconds he was okay so there's the pluses the artwork's awesome two out of ten i still recommend it though that you go out and check out these films if you even if you're not a shot on video film just to say that you saw them be a part of history you know what i'm saying i'm a su- i'm honestly it might not seem like i would be but I'm a sucker for shot on video. I, I like them a lot. I've I've never really saw one that I've like hated or was like fuck that. I'm a really like, big fan of shot on video films, and there's a there's a lot that I really really fucking enjoy. Like I mean, video violence didn't make my top fifty list for just the sake of having a shot on video film on there. It's because I truly really love that movie, man. It's awesome. I think they put a lot of heart and soul into, it. and that that's the thing I do like about a lot of shot on video films because when they're really legitimately trying to soul. make. They're, when yeah they're trying to legitimately make a decent film just with you know shot on video equipment and it turns out fun and stuff like i give them all the props in the world for that man there's there's a lot of fun ones out there i think people just can't get over the video quality like plus fucking, like the styles are time capsules of like the 90s since most of them was made in the 90s it's just um, funny well i mean there was a ton maybe between 82 and i'm actually looking at my analog nightmares book right now shot on video horror films it's like the history man 82 to 95 there's like hundreds and hundreds i guess most of, of the ones i seen were from the 90s yeah i mean there's a period actually beyond 95 to like 99 like i mean i just reviewed one the the, the green element the green elephant holy fuck that was from 99 there was rot 
that came out in 99, uh, Marcus Koch's first film, you know, the, you know, the indie fucking effects artists and stuff. Uh, he's done fucking hundreds of films, man, but he actually directed that film, Shot on Fate. It's fun. It's very fun. But, um, yeah, actually, this Analog Nightmares book is interesting, man. It really, the guy, the guy that wrote this book did a fucking fantastic job. Did a lot of research in these films. Some, ex- some of these movies are so obscure. And that's the other thing I love about Shot on Video films is that, a lot of them are so obscure. It's like you need to fucking find them, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like with a lot of sh- shot on film films, you know, they they seem to get out there. There's a little bit more. They're a little bit easier to find. But these shot on video films, there was a, such a niche market that they're they're so fucking rare and just that you you just you want to seek them out even more just because of that reason and stuff. And that's what I love about that time era. It is a capsule and it's uh, it's an interesting time in in horror history, man. It's the video era, man. It just what it is that's what it was all about they were made for videos it's awesome man um but you know the other thing i was actually going to do for knowledge today was i had like this top 10 list of um you know i only found one top 10 list shot on videos and uh Mm. so i I scrolled through it and stuff and of course every time i come across one of these lists or see someone's list or watch someone's videos and stuff they always have movies in there that were shot on fucking 16 millimeter every fucking time man. <laughs> yeah like, i've seen i've seen that happen too like i don't know how many lists i see with the video dead on there and fucking um killing spree and stuff and uh there's a couple other ones that always make these lists that are those oh are shit fucking... i actually i actually thought killing spree was shot on video no it actually isn't it's shot on 60 millimeter and there's a lot of movies that are shot on 60 millimeter like really low quality 60 millimeter that actually the, it, the quality of film is so bad it looks like video but it's not it's not i think that one was transferred to tape and then uh, I think what it was, Killing Spree was shot on 60 million and then mastered on tape or something like that and distributed like that. So it kind of has that appeal of video, but it actually shot was shot on film. But it's crazy. Like people still think that the video dead wasn't. I'm like, no, it's not shot on fucking video, man. But definitely not. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. So it's, it's, it's on fucking Blu-ray, dude. <laughs> yeah. So I fucking. I mean, you can put it on video films on there. There's. there's I know, but it's like problem. a good Blu-ray transfer. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So like, I looked at this list, and eight or two of the ten films were shot on fucking film, and I was like, for fuck's sakes, man, come on, <laughs> Jesus Christ, do your homework if you're gonna fucking publish this shit, man. But anyways. That is going to conclude episode 176. I don't know what we're going to title this one because it's kind of a mashup of Shot, shot on, video, on Video Volume 2. Volume 2. Just put Shot on Video Volume 2, Director Spotlight, Novell Turner, or Novell. Uh, what the fuck, man? You know, you know what the fuck I'm talking about. I can't even think right yeah. now. I'm tired. Chester Novell Turner. Jesus Christ. I love that name, man. I keep thinking of Truck Turner, man. The fucking black exploitation film. But, um,. Yeah, that's uh, episode 176. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And um, that is it, man. Take us the fuck out of here, man. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I'm JP. You can follow me on YouTube, Double Shot J. That's Mood616 on YouTube. Uh, check out our Twitter, 22 Shots Podcast. Send us an email, 22 Shots of Moods and Horror at gmail.com. Join the Facebook group, Facebook slash group slash 22 Shots Podcast. Check out my new show, His and Her Movie Podcast, Double HMP. Uh, and we'll see you guys next week with uh, hopefully our decade show that we promised. So that should happen next week. And uh, I'm JP. That's Moods. We're out. I said, wake up, bitch! Wake up!